keep on kissing babies and hugging fat girls. Out full of suffering, succotash, son. It's me, Austin. Oh, son of a bitch. What? It's me, Austin. It was me all along, Austin. And your teeth look like two tight, too, Billy. And you book a match with me. That's right, Killings. Look at me. I'm a total package. I will rip him apart. I'm pissed now. Where to, Stephanie? <laughs> Wrestle Roasts on ad-free shows and ATC. Welcome everyone to Wrestle Roast. This is the Wrestle Roast holiday end of the year spectacular. I'm your host Robert Carpolis and I am joined as always by Scott Chaplin. Scott, how are you? What's up, brother? I'm well. How are you? How is everybody? There's people on this. Holy shit. There, there's people on. If you are a Patreon subscriber, you're joining us live as we're recording this. Happy to have you here. Happy to see so many familiar faces from last year. Uh, we got a, a packed show for you today. First and foremost, we're going to be talking Dynamite or Dud. Probably get into a little bit of uh, World's End. Uh, we've got our end of the year awards as Scott is petting his dog, taking full advantage, being on camera here. Uh, and we will be joined a little later uh, not only for the end of the year awards, but for the surprise roast, we'll be joined by Dan St. Germain and Mike Lawrence, all four of us back together again. This is this is the way you want to spend the end of the year, Scott. Oh, no, man. I'm thrilled about it. Yeah, I'm thrilled to have to write a, a roast jokes for everybody. Yeah, no kidding. You were super thrilled when you found out we had to write roast jokes. It's we, <laughs> we like it's the. The name of the show is Wrestle Roasts, and the part that we hate the most, apparently, is which can we finally admit that was Conrad? That was all Conrad. No, and that wasn't then, Conrad. That was Mike. That was Mike. I, that I was, was Mike. Conrad. No, that was Mike because we were doing total F and marks, and we're doing the like ten count, and we started talking about modern shit. He's like, guys, I, I kind of prefer to like talk about you know uh, like Bastion Booger. So then it turned into like, all right, we'll do the roast because you guys are fucking professional roast comedians. Uh, and then you guys all belly ached about having to do jokes. So here we You're are. Goddamn right. show called Wrestle Roasts where we don't fucking roast people every week anymore. But who cares? It's it's you raise know, your hands if you care. <laughs> all right. Fuck, yeah, well, fuck you, Joe and Andy. Those two I saw. Uh, we well, love don't you. Don't worry. You're going to this. Here. Yeah, no, we got a we got a good roast for you today. We I, I like doing the roast. The roasts are fun. And yes, Andy starts right. It's the return of Dan St. Germain. Uh a a packed show today. Uh, oh, Dan is here. He's snuck in, in the corner. Wow. A little earlier than I expected. Love it. How are you, Dan? Hey, buddy. How's it going? Nice to nice to see you yeah, on. I'm a, I'm a part-timer now. I I uh I, I did come in with roast jokes, though, so I brought the roast back, guys, for the short episode that I've been on. Yes. Well, the uh, the patron saint of uh, roasts is here. Uh, we're excited. But uh, Mike will be joining us uh, a little later, so we'll we'll save the roast for, for closer to the end. But first, we're going to talk uh, what used to be Scott's favorite part of the show, which was Dynamite or Dud. 
But uh, this week's show, kind of a mixed bag. Oh, no doubt it was. Yeah. Dan, you you caught part of uh, Dynamite, right? I caught the second part. Um, you know, the second part, I mean, you guys should talk about the first part first. Well, I, I've yeah, that's of, usually how that goes. Yeah, I've been kind of out of the wrestling loop for a little bit. So is uh, Tony Khan, so you're DM fine. Jermaine is home. Somebody just wrote in the chat. I, I've been out of the wrestling loop for a little bit, so I just kind of caught up a little bit. Um, I did go back to alcohol and drug rehab. I'm back, though, guys. I'm 50, 50 days sober, so there we go. Uh, this devil storylines weighed on a lot of us, Dan. So, uh, yeah, I'm already, I'm already, I'm already more sober than Jeff Hardy ever has been. But I have, I've decided to. Uh, <laughs> thank you. I don't know who's who's dancing in the corner. Andy Starr, one of my favorites. Um, but I did see the second half of the episode. So why don't you guys talk about the first half, and then I'll I'll jump in for the second half. So Dynamite opened with the finals of the i want to say gold league i've I've given up on colors at this point it was moxley swerve and jay white i thought it was a hell of a triple threat match which i assumed was set up for jay white to take the pin from swerve yes andy star i hate math uh can't stand math in this tournament and and the ratings have proven that by the way scott collision did massive numbers this week why because the winner of that tournament match went on and the loser didn't. It's it's fucking simple. Wrestling fans like simple. But Moxley swerved, Jay White, fun match. Surprised it was Moxley at the end. Yeah, I mean, surprised, a little disappointed, right? Uh, this tournament is supposed to be about, like, in-ring performance. And you do have a final that, yeah, in storyline reason, it makes sense. But it's not like your two most athletic guys. Uh, actually, it's maybe your two least athletic guys in the entire tournament. So it's a bit of a head-scratcher because you want a Danielson, just like we all wanted an Omega in the tournament. We didn't get any of that. Well, you kind of knew it was going to have to be Kingston. I mean, we'll, we'll get to that later, but the dude puts up two of his titles. You can't just have him lose because of math. Like, he has to lose or win in the final, so... I thought it was going to be Swerve. It feels like that's the guy that has all the momentum. And instead, we're getting Moxley, which is kind of like old guys again. Yeah, it does. It it feels like going back to an old storyline, which exa is exactly what Swerve does in the next promo. And like a really fumbling kind of way, too, where they're all trying to figure out exactly how do we immediately say that this match is happening Saturday? And three of them don't know how to get there. It's like Tony has a contract for Swerve to sign. Um, Nana is like, how is this even here? And Swerve is like, it doesn't matter it's here. But n n the three of them really don't know where the role is. Uh, this was the dumbest backstage. thing I've seen on this bad, show. Man. It was like this weird situation where Tony's like, hey, Swerve. Good news. Keith Lee, who I swear was really here, uh, dropped off this contract on the off chance that you were going to lose the triple threat match earlier and need an opponent for Saturday. It was goofy. Yeah, I mean, if anything, it should have been just swerve upset that he lost and then laying out a challenge. Exactly. Not challenge already being there for him. Yeah, it makes the tournament not make too much sense, especially the tournament final. 
It makes you go, oh, there was a guy completely expecting one person to not win this, even though fans thought he was going to win. You know what it felt like? Because I, I read the I read the first oh, yeah. hour of the spoilers, and when I saw that they're going to do, because I'm going to go to World's End this Saturday. Uh, it's in Long Island, so I'm going with uh, my buddy Nathan and my wife. And between Swerve and Keith Lee, it felt like, you know, like when you didn't like, you're like, all right, I was supposed to, Man, I was supposed to get a job this year and I was supposed to I was supposed to finally be able to afford rent, but you know, I didn't I didn't I wasn't able to accomplish that, but I did build this birdhouse. Remember I needed to build this birdhouse 6 months ago. So here it is. Here's the birdhouse that I built and everyone's like, "Huh? I guess." Yeah, and it was like almost a weird like window into how he, how Tony's brain works where he was like see fuck you i didn't drop this storyline i'm just bringing it back in the most haphazard way possible four and a half months later that's the weirdest part of this like we wanted this match we wanted this payoff and we've been saying for months like this is really stupid that they they never paid off the keith lee swerve thing and now we're getting it here like three days before the pay-per-view shoehorned in because they got nothing else for swerve and I feel terrible for Keith Lee because there's no way that Keith Lee is going to get any kind of reaction from this crowd. The audience loves Swerve, and they've kind of forgotten that Keith Lee exists. Yeah, I think it's going to be like a lot of AEW pay-per-views. It's going to exist in a bubble. The bubble is going to be really fun to watch. It's going to be really great. We're going to love the match, but is it going to do anything for Keith Lee? Like Ideally, Keith and Swerve walk out of it looking amazing and keith gets what swerve and hangman got out of their performance with each other i just don't see it actually happening no and i think it's it's shitty because tony always goes to this idea of these guys are all going to deliver on pay-per-view you're always going to get your money's worth which is true but you can't keep putting your talent in those positions like you got to give them some kind of storyline and some kind of build so they're not constantly bailing your ass out After this, uh, Mariah May came out, and then she ran away from four foot six Riho, which was baffling to me, Scott. Yeah, that looked uh, odd. I like Riho, but I do understand you need to use her like Rey Mysterio, and they never do because they just go, "Oh, chicks fighting," but it's like, no, she's she's very tiny, Um, and I know a lot of women are her height but they're not her height and weight. And the ones that are used accordingly, right? Like an Alexa Bliss, where it's like, focus on the doll, not the in-ring performance. Well, uh, EO Sky is the same size as Riho, but you don't ever think of, look at EO Sky and be like, she is a, you know, a 12-year-old, like, girl yeah, that should she, stay yeah, away from she's Omega. not making stone cold saves either, you know? It's yeah. like, use Riho for what she's good at, which is in-ring wrestling. No, her character is she like shows up and they don't have a challenger. She gets beat and then goes away for four months. That's kind of her gimmick. Uh, what's Mar- Mariah May is that they just wanted like their own Tiffany Stratton. It they wanted Tiffany Stratton playing Mickey James. They, really they made her look but beyond beyond the fact that she's really hot. They made her look like she's a star. So that's go the, right, isn't that the thing? She can actually go in the ring. You're the Japanese wrestling guy but like i'm not watching stardom no i haven't watched stardom all year uh yeah so then uh tony storm comes out and riho beats up everybody and mike's favorite wrestler dr luther got a uh got a payday so 
Huge moment on the show for him. Uh, next up, there was a backstage vignette with... Dude, the Tom- people want Luther more than they want Jericho. Did we ever think that was going to happen? <laughs> That's been my take people, on the last year. Jericho's immediate family. No, I think I think Luther's a, uh, a Democrat, so I don't think he'd do well with the Jericho clan. Uh, we get Top Flight and Action Andretti, who are, I guess, still a, a, a trio. And this leads to a, few, a, a feud with them and the best friends that ends with Action Andretti just chugging a bottle of water. Uh, you were getting a prop, Scott. We give Scott a video in an audience one week. He turns into fucking uh, Gallagher. He do, yeah, he does like a, a chugging bottle of water trick really quick that like, you know, a kid in your lunchroom knows how to do. And it's it's so like amateur. Remember growing up, you always heard like, oh, Heyman was always like accentuate the positives, show like cool things a guy is capable of doing. Even Vince in a way with puke, right? And draws. It's, oh, this guy knows how to puke on command. Let's figure this out. And now you have AEW, and this guy can do like a fucking uh, a high school, um, you know, lunchroom trick, and they're having him do it on television. That's really what that was. Oh, cool! You can chug a water bottle quick. Go ahead and do it. That that's fun. Uh, it just looked weird. It looked like an odd tick that the kid has. You know. Well, next week they're going to take young all people the food don't look cool now. anymore. They look like they they look like a. Like um, it's like vaccine uh results, you know. You go, oh, okay, that must be an effect. <laughs> this guy isn't awesome. There's something wrong with him. No, next week they're gonna take his lunch tray, mush it all up, and pay him a dollar to eat it. That's his new. That's his new gimmick. But at least they made it on TV. At least it was kind of like, hey, top flights here. Because I haven't watched any of these six man tags that they've been in. Apparently they've been really good. Have you right. seen any of them? Yeah, I mean, I saw the one that. Jericho said on commentary was one of the best matches he saw in 33 years. It was really good. It wasn't that, but it was, it was fun. Oh, you mean the one that and like I've said the whole time, the trios division should be guys like this doing cool tricks. Like drinking water. Yes. That was also the six man tag that was opposite the ring of honor pay-per-view that they charged people money for. So they're, they really got a fucking, Finger on the pulse here. Uh, there's a Miro video package to hype his match with Andrade. Didn't know these guys were actually feuding because I don't really watch Collision. Uh, this also feels like it's just sort of forced and out of nowhere. Well, you know, even on Collision, it's like a lot of backstage type vibes. No real tension, right? The beef isn't that like they're fighting. The beef is that, oh, you're being repped by my wife and I like her. And so there hasn't been like real altercations, just subtle talking. Um, But it is a match that on paper you go, Ooh, that makes total sense and will be a banger. But it does seem like two guys that don't even want to be in the company. And one guy that it might even be his last match. Like, is this going to be Andrade's last match? And then it should be, I don't, I don't think over Miro. Why not? I mean, it's, it's well, I guess because Miro somewhere. doesn't need to be put over, but he does need to win match. Don't follow up with anybody, uh, which is funny because that's the theme of the next segment. Uh, the Don Callis family is back, guys. So Don beat whatever charges he was hiding from. And uh, he's got paintings for Boxing Week of all of the members of the Don Callis family that none of us actually remembered was a stable. So you had uh, you had Hobbs out there. You had Takeshita. You had Kyle Fletcher and 
Then the big reveal, Sammy Guevara is back. Forgot he was gone. He had a kid. He had a concussion. And now, for some reason, the he hates the Don Cowes family. And they're feuding with him because he didn't. Don didn't call him when he had a kid or some shit like that. And Sammy, who just turned heel, is now a babyface again and gets rescued by Chris Jericho. This was a mess. This whole yeah. segment was fucking just weird. Yeah, there was a few beats that were entirely stupid. Um, him coming out and it's like, oh, there's no painting of me. And then there is a painting of him like he was expecting him to return. And then the issue you have with the painting is he added your son in it. Like, that's why is that bad? You're a part of his fucking dumb group. So why would you care if your kid was a part of his group? That seems like a dumb thing to do. To add because, your kid in the photo of you and your group, that's nice. But he took offense to it, which doesn't it, – none of it made any sense. Then Jericho comes out, which doesn't make sense because uh, Sammy turned on Jericho last time. They hug. Then at the very least, you go, oh, okay, Jericho and Sammy versus Big Bill and Ricky for the titles. But we're not getting that. We're getting a four-on-four four match. Yeah, because – Starks and I Big Bill come out. Title, Matt. Wait, no, we're not. We're, we're not. Because we're, what ha- So Starks and Big Bill come out to go attack Sammy and Jericho, and then Sting and Darby make the save. And this is continuing this Tony Khan pattern of like forgetting he has a pay per view, and then just goes, "Oh shit, let's just do everything in one segment." So you have like eight storylines mixing together into one five minute piece with a bunch of people who haven't been on television in weeks. But well, I guess I Tony know. said during the during the press conference today uh, that he he doesn't want to replace Kenny and just force a tag match when he's done how many fucking tournaments to replace guys who are injured. I also think um, Sting and Darby coming out. You know, there's that moment where you go, "Oh, okay, a triple threat for the tag titles," and then Sting could win tag gold before his final match. You know, it could be a tag match, his final match at Revolution. Who cares? But yeah, it just didn't make sense. And if guys don't mind me spoiling a moment in Rampage, cover your ears if you do. Um, Jericho and Sammy say that they do have a tag, like a tag title shot in the future. So it's not just this match you're getting with them. In the future, they're going to fight Big Bill and Ricky, which is not what we want. Uh, Just give it to us on Saturday so it could be over with. Nothing about this makes a lick of sense. Like, it's it's just so fucking weird. Um, oh, good. And then we get Roderick Strong and the kingdom with a, uh, a chart trying to point out that MJF is the devil. And the thing I'm most excited about about World's End is that's going to be the end of the devil storyline. It is done on Saturday. It has been such a colossal fucking... Uh, labyrinth of stupidity that Tony basically said today, yeah, we're going to get to a conclusion of this on Saturday. Yeah, it's going to be Cole. It's going to be Cole and his boys. Dan, you think we'll, the same we'll, we'll thing, get to, We'll get to the devil at the end. Let's We'll, we'll, oh, we'll gosh, give Dan man. a chance to down his Diet Coke, get some caffeine in his system. Uh, we get Brian Danielson versus Eddie Kingston, which I it was. Oh, I thought this was awesome. I enjoyed yeah, the hell yeah, out of this That's where I tuned in, and I was like, this is... You know, this is how you could, the, uh, in my mind, this is the only way you can enjoy AEW now, is you have to, like, take 
like just Daniel Bryan versus Eddie Kingston as its own storyline over the last couple months and look at their own history. And Brian Danielson cut this amazing promo about Eddie Kingston. I don't know where it was, which but basically talking about why Eddie Kingston flips people off in matches. And basically, like to quote Scott, it's all loser shit, right? And if you watch this this match, it was an amazing like journey of like their feud up to this point where Eddie Kingston finally gets the win over an arrogant Daniel Bryan or Brian Danielson, whatever, who's right. been, you know, um, who's not been taking him seriously for months and months. But, like, you have to do that work. Like, it's like, you have to, like, look at the promo beforehand. You have to realize that this is what the story's about. And then at the very end, it sets up a match with Moxley and Kingston, which I'm excited to see on Saturday. I mean, those guys yeah. have great chemistry together. And it's, you know, it's it's... But the, the whole time you're kind of like, okay, so now this is the story that you're telling is kind of like a retread of Eddie Kingston winning the world ring of honor world title where he finally, he finally wins the big one. And this one is the new big one because it's three titles kind of merged together. It's just, you know, kind of just haphazardly thrown together and you know, you have to, you have to enjoy, you really just have to enjoy it like you would a P, like you have to start enjoying AEW shows like you would a, a PWG show. Like there's a lot of talented people that work there. So there's going to be great matches. They have a lot of talented producers there. Some of those producers are going to be working on some of the great matches, but as far as like overall vision and where the company's going, it's, it's, you can't really chart a course because Tony doesn't know what that is. But that makes it impossible as a mainstream fan and by a mainstream fan, I mean someone who's tuning in on TNT or TVS to get you above 800,000 people. They need something to sink their teeth into and good, bad, or indifferent. The devil storyline has engaged people and they've gotten more excited than the, the, the tournament, the tournament, great wrestling matches, but a lot of these matches didn't have any, any connection. It's uh, Jim Ross on his podcast. He was talking about why the UWF, uh, went out went went under and the, and they talked about the big Crockett Cup that they did um, and how big of a failure it ultimately was because you had all these amazing wrestlers that people knew they were putting on great matches but they were all ice cold and they had no story so they weren't drawing and I'm listening to him say this I'm like do you not realize the fucking company you work for right now is doing the exact same thing if this was a single elimination tournament and the story of Eddie Kingston was. I'm putting these titles up because it means the world to me as a, as a mark, as a wrestling fan to win a triple crown title. So if I lose once I lose my dream, I lose the ring of honor title. I lose whatever that bullshit new Japan title was. Now, every time he's wrestling, it's do or die. Instead it was, well, let's just keep an eye on the math. That's how you tell stories in a tournament. Everybody has a motivation. Everybody has a reason to go do something. And people get excited about it. Somebody wrote yeah, the devil in the chat brought up a great point, which is, you know, wanting to win the tournament is a story. And I think that was a lot of people's storyline in this feud. Uh, but maybe you're right. I think, you know, crossing over two separate shows was a bit uh, obnoxious. I think some people didn't even see the, the blue league at all. Uh, and so seeing Eddie on Wednesday last night, it's like, oh, yeah, I know he cares. 
but how many people actually saw the matches were invested i don't know and and uh to victor in the chat who said no one tell robert how they keep the standings in english soccer i worked in hockey where they used fucking points and hockey's a stupid sport that's basically just like figure skating and i'd like oh the panthers tied so we got one point it, no you win or you lose that is a tournament that's why people like you know, the, the, the NFL is simple. You win, you lose, you're done. There's no point system to it. But in a wrestling tournament, as wrestling fans, you want there to be stakes in every match. And when there's not stakes in a match, you get that Mark Briscoe, Jay Lethal match where they were both already eliminated and they still had to go out there and wrestle. It's it's weird. It's like niche Japanese New Japan bullshit that can stay on Scott's side of the screen. No way, Jose. You know, I did see, I, I remember like the, the runner-up match when you're Wrestle Kingdom between, I think it was like Jay White and Ibushi was actually very good, and they both, you know, weren't winning the title. So Robert's wrong about that, but I mean. Well, no, I, I think, that's New Japan, Dan. The, New Japan is not known for like intricate stories. It's let's have great in-ring matches. And the audience there, that's what they tune in for. AEW is going after the broad WWE audience you got to have some stories behind it or else the WWE like, audience that, that needs their intricate stories. <laughs> we like WWE stories because they're plain and simple. Uh, they're not intricate. If they were intricate, they'd be falling on their asses every week. Well, intricate for like wrestling fans. Um, but you know, speaking of sports entertainment, the next segment. So Christian was waiting to do like a sit down interview the entire night with, with Adam Copeland. And it just leads to Copeland running in and then fighting each other. And nobody taught any of the other wrestlers how to do a pull apart. So Copeland is like trying to pretend like he's like, hold me back guys, hold me back. And nobody's really touching him. And they're just kind of standing there. And it was super awkward to watch. But what was the? I don't understand what the point of this was. Like they were going to do a sit down interview. Of course they were going to start punching each other. Yeah, this was just to to remind you that they got a match on Saturday. Dan, you haven't you haven't. I don't know if you've seen much of this uh, Christian Adam Copeland storyline. I'm curious what your thought is on Nick Wayne's mom fucking Christian. Is she fucking him? For sure. In the story, kind of what it's. I don't know if it's story or not, but it kind of. Yeah, he like implied. He implied that he like went in raw or something. (laughs) I think exactly that. I think he said I went in raw, and I'm not talking about. He went in there raw with some real velocity, got some heat, and then laid the smackdown. Right, Scott? Yeah, pretty much. That's what he said. I mean, that's honestly my favorite. Like, I want to see just Christian cut a promo more than I want to see Christian versus Edge. You know, Christian's like whole character is now like it's just you know, it's that like it's that point in the comedy show where you're like, yeah, and then I and then I I fucked this little girl in N-word, you know, like saying the most shocking thing just because you have nothing else to do. Um and that's what Christian's character is and it's kind of fun. I mean, it's the thing that I keep watching in AEW, but just you know, am I looking forward to the actual match? I don't know. The whole the the whole time I w- I was watching it, I was like, "Good for Edge, man." You know, he made a he got out of WWE. He made a shitload of money from WWE. He's made a shitload of money from Tony, and now he gets to work with his best friend. 
and uh and i'm sure the whole time he's just laughing so like like as, as somebody who seems to like adam copeland personally uh i i enjoyed this but as, as like a wrestling fan i was just kind of like all right well they're doing a you know i mean they're doing another fucking christian edge feud okay that's pretty much all he wanted but the problem is every time edge and christian have feuded those matches kind of suck like it's 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 probably Edge's weakest feud, and Edge is a babyface, never yeah. really works. I I feel bad for him because, and this is this is true. He had to learn how to redo his entrances now because the arenas are so empty. He can't run to both sides of the stage. <laughs> is that true? That's actually true. Yes, <laughs> that is. I just I someone at AEW told me that, and I was just like, well, that that's rough. So. <laughs> Hopefully those checks are clearing. I'm sure uh, we, they're clearing. I'm not that I'm not that worried. But uh we get Sky Blue versus Chris Statlander. This was it was at 940, not 930. So that's a little bit of a a little bit of a wrinkle. The match was fine. Julia Hart interfered. Sky Blue won. Willow Nightingale came out and then Doink the Clown ran oh, no, sorry, Abaddon ran out at the end uh for her once a year push. Scott, what the fuck are they doing? I thought the end of this match was really great. Like genuinely in ring, I thought towards the end, I got into it. Uh, th that rarely ever happens for like, you know, sky blue matches. Um, but I do think Stokely was so good on commentary. Yeah. That the beginning of the match suffered because of it, because he was way more entertaining than what was going on in the ring. But then I was, I was fine with, you know, Abaddon is in a match, uh, on the pay-per-view she's uh on on that video game right that came out this year like i don't know you use her when you can use her she's used just as much as riho i guess but let me ask a really stupid question uh where is willow nightingale from where's she from she is from valley stream long island new york where is no. the pay-per-view on saturday is How that is she yeah, yeah, she's from the same. She's born in the same town I was Listen, born. What's in. her name? Chris Statlander from Long Island, too. I think so. Yeah, but like Will, if you're going to do the Willow save, I assumed you were setting up Willow versus Julia Hart. You were doing like you know the Long Island girl trying to go win the title from the evil spooky girl in the sombrero, and instead it's Abaddon. Oh yeah, that's unfortunate. No, there's there's quite a few other women who should be wrestling other than Abaddon. It does seem that the storyline is like spooky, right? And they're going for that. Next up was a Soraya Ruby Soho segment where I guess Soraya now got the girl that was with QT Marshall. Uh, may he rest in peace. Um, now that he is uh, now that he's no longer in AEW, I guess she's now going to be Soraya's. Uh, what was that girl's name that used to go out with Britt Baker? Uh, Rebel. Rebel. Yeah. Ruby so, Soho like uh, implied that like she's fucking everybody backstage. This girl. I guess that girl's fucking everyone backstage, and Ruby is fucking one of the guys from 2.0 in storyline. Okay. I don't remember which one. That's yep. That's that's the perfect response there, Dan. That's what got TV time. Um, and with two minutes left on the show it was like it was 958 MJF comes out for the match with uh the the devils 
for the Ring of Honor tag titles. Joe doesn't come out. Max wrestles the match alone. He gets uh, beat up. We see that Joe was attacked in the back. He was laid out. Uh, Max winds up losing to the Devils, loses the Ring of Honor tag titles. Two more Devil worshiper people come out. Joe comes running out for the save with a chair on the screen. The Devil puts up a message that says, pleasure doing business with you. And Joe lays Max out with a chair to set up World's End. Before we watched this show yesterday, Mike made a joke uh, accidentally uh, by calling this Impact. And he had never been more right than he was at the finish of this episode of Dynamite. Dan, you've been away from wrestling for a little bit. Did this make you want to go run screaming into a cave? Yeah, I mean, it kind of made me think, you know, I'm looking forward to the show on Saturday. There's going to be some great wrestlers, some great matches. But it it did make me realize, like, okay, yeah, I, I think I'd need a break from AEW, which is one of the reasons I haven't been doing the show as much. Um, uh, <laughs> accidentally made a joke, the name of his next special. Um yeah, I, I I don't know. I I just you know I watched it and I just thought that it was, you know, like just putting the titles on the goons, you know, and and is that a a war? Is that some sort of reward for helping out the devils that you get the Ring of Honor tag titles? Um, it just it's just it it you know they're they're gonna end it. Maybe they should just fucking I don't know, man. Maybe they should just do uh. Like do some sort of thing where they like shake a they shake some sort of crystal ball and you know all the titles are stripped away from everybody and we just start with fresh storylines in twenty twenty four because you know that's what it, Vince Russo did when he got when he took over for WCW yeah yeah I actually think that that's not that's not a bad idea it just seems like that this is like what's the point of doing and finishing all these stories kind of like the Keith Lee thing with Swerve if you're gonna do them in a way that's just kind of like. Oh, okay, now it's over, and here you go. Oh, we want to end this thing. You know, it, it just feels like, you know, they, they teased the storyline forever, and now they're ending it this way. I don't know. I mean, I you know, I think it's 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 going to be Adam Cole. That's probably the safest bet. But if it's Tony Khan, how funny is that going to be? So that's, that's, that's also what I'm, like, looking forward to. It could be Tony. That is, that is the dream. Scott, what did you think of this last segment? There was parts of this I was fine with. I, I'm actually fine with Samoa Joe doing business with the devil. Yeah, I, uh, I I've been pretty much fine with a lot of the devil storyline. Most every attack has made sense. It's obviously been stretched out to death. Um, whether it's because of injury, whether it's because they thought someone was going to be the devil, and now the devil is selling out Madison Square Garden. Uh, so I've been like sympathetic towards this storyline. And again, Joe turning on MJF right before the pay-per-view. Okay, fine. Then you have the match and the referee is like not paying attention at all. They're, they're so focused on this storyline that a third guy uh, hits MJF, MJF with a pipe and the referee is like focused talking to the other masked man for a minute. Then the, the the victory, which again, like MJF was already attacked by Joe and already hit with a pipe. 
uh, one of the guys uses his foot, like both of his feet are on the ropes and the other guy is holding his legs on the already feet on the ropes and the ref's not doing anything. It's like, you don't have to pile up on the cheating um, to, to overemphasize that MJF is about to lose. And I think the way they went about cheating just showed that, like, they couldn't see what they were doing with the masks on. And so they were just fucking around, swinging around, and the ref also decided, well, hell, I guess I can't see either. And I thought it looked really, really shit. How dare you imply that Bryce Remsburg is not the best referee of all time? I have no, never the thing once is, it's said like, a bad thing about him. You know, you're laying out moments in a play when you're doing these type of things and no one is is hitting their cues right. And uh, so it just looked really poorly done. Again, I like what's written and then you're performing it like shit. I didn't even really like what was written. It was just kind of <laughs> the problem with the devil storyline. Like people got all excited when it first happened because everybody assumed, yeah, it was going to be punk. Like you get these ideas in your head that it's going to be something massive and none of these reveals ever really pay off and then for a while people thought it was going to be jack perry to the point where tony khan had to actively come out and say it's not jack perry so you're left with the only storyline answer which is it's adam cole or it's Britt baker which is something we've suggested on the show before so the idea of max now doesn't have the ring of honor tag titles he could lose the ring of honor title on saturday the idea that he has not re-signed in his storyline world with AEW, maybe he vanished. You know, they reveal that it's Cole. Max is heartbroken. He just vanishes and goes off into the wilderness. And I suggested on rumor and innuendo today, I would love to see Joe win the title and be a strong heel champion because you've got Osprey coming up in March and he needs somebody to go chase. And I think building to Joe Osprey is a way to wash the taste out of everybody's mouth in this devil story. Sure. I think a weird thing about the devil story too, is obviously they're after max and max is going to go away, but wouldn't you also want the title? And so you help Joe, Joe wins the title on Saturday. What's your next move as this group, Adam Cole and these guys, is it go after Joe? Either way, I do think, and again, I, I, I think this is what's happening. It's Adam Cole it's uh, it's Matt Taven, it's Kyle O'Reilly, it's those guys. Yeah, it, it looked like Taven it and Bennett. Britt is involved, and what we have to look forward to is like, dude, Britt, Adam Cole, Roddy, them on the mic every Wednesday, that's better than everything we've gotten most of 2023 from AEW. And so I'm, I am looking forward to that. And, and how we got there seems unfortunate, but again, I don't think it was the original plan. And... Here's the other thing. I think Adam Cole can't be that hurt or MJF can't be that hurt. That's got to be another one of these twists that one of these guys is not hurt because otherwise we're watching a feud that culminates with two guys with no legs. That's pretty much what you're And then we have to wait with. six months for what? Well, that's the thing. It's if Max goes away for a while and then he makes a triumphant return in a couple months, the problem with that story is the last time he did that, the whole fucking company imploded. You know, he went away. He comes back in the devil mess to go face punk. And then we never got the payoff. So it's just baffling that this is where we are right now. And Tony's heard long-term storytelling and decided to give us aces and eights. Yeah. 
Dan, is there any yeah, possibility? Like it's, it's, could be better, honestly. Like the Bully Ray of it was, you know, at least we at least we got that promo from it where Bully Ray, like it was kind of this amazing, you know, like him trying to fill in all the holes of the storyline. I don't yeah. know if we're going to get that here. I I don't know, or maybe it is Tony. Maybe it's just Tony being like, "This guy's jerked me around." And asked for you know all this money in the bidding war of whatever. So I'm gonna make his life. Well, they can't a bring hell. that up anymore, right? Because now that's because no, they can't. Now you it's can't like, bring this... up any of these things. You can't even bring up the Jungle Boy shit. I think the Bucks are gonna have to rethink their supposed gimmick because people are over it. Like the that backstage shit at All In has X Pac heat. Nobody wants to hear about it. Well, that tell it to Chris Jericho. Yes, Jericho, oh, great Jericho. example this week. Jericho drudged it up this week, which plug for my other show because fuck it, I'm here. Uh, on on Friday, we have Stephen P. New on as our guest, who's CM Punk's lawyer and A. Steele's lawyer, to talk about this whole situation because Jericho on Christmas, where you know he doesn't want to talk to his family, I can't blame him. Uh, basically started talking about how A. So A. Steele's wife is the only one who supposedly never signed an NDA. And she was there during the whole all-in fight. And Jericho's like, that's not true. I was there. I saw everything, and I didn't sign an NDA. And what this woman did was awful. If you're like the senior whatever, the locker room leader of AEW, why the fuck are you bringing this up the week of a pay-per-view? People want to put this behind them. You lost CM Punk because of this, this brawl-out thing. Punk just made the single largest day of merch sales ever. He then drew the, the biggest crowd in the history of WWE non-televised events at Madison Square Garden. Like, leave it alone. Don't remind people of this because there's no payoff. And if you want to, like, interject yourself and tell this story, nobody's going to look good coming out of it. Am I, am I so being, like, road, Let's harsh? see if Danielson finds Jericho. That, that I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> no, but Danielson's just trying to find these guys to like stay on Tony's good graces so that Tony doesn't add on time to his contract. Yeah, it's it's weird now. Like even like Daniel Bryan, who seemed like the one guy who was going to like <laughs> kind of get out of this without you know having a smell attached to him. Now he's like taking the the you know the goon role backstage. The uh, I don't know, man. It's uh, it's a little bizarre. Nobody's coming out of this AEW situation looking great. And I think that's the most unfortunate part. Like Copeland goes there and has done nothing. A lot of the guys who left WWE to go to AEW in the first place, like Andrade or Miro or Malachi Black, it's like, well, now there's a countdown until they leave and come back to WWE. Is there anybody that when all is said and done is going to look better by being an AEW? Well, the one thing is, cause you know, I really don't care about billionaires. I don't care about Tony, but like the one good thing is I do think like all the wrestlers there, like if you look at CM Punk, if you look at Jade Cargill, if you look at Cody Rhodes, the people have, who have come from AEW to WWE, it hasn't affected them at all. If anything, it's, it's, it's helped kind of revitalize their career. So like the one benefit is like, you know, we have like Andrade versus Miro, which is kind of a cold match for the pay-per-view. But if either of those guys show up in WWE, 
Um, I still think there's going to be excitement about him. So, like, that's the one thing I think that has been a little bit of a difference is that, like, you know, it, it feels like you can rebound from this. So, like, if you're a, if you're a wrestler, I don't know about the company, but if you're a wrestler, I think you can rebound from it. I think you could rebound by by leaving AEW. I'm talking about folks that like have been in AEW, and it's like, boy, this is the best thing that's really happened in their career. Uh, I see Dalton Bailey threw out a couple of names. He said yeah, Cody showed a bit like Moxley or or Claudio. Moxley's kind of shown that he's not the one A main event babyface that we all kind of thought that he was and was being held down in WWE. Well, it just needs direction, you know? I mean, we all thought that, I mean, we all kind of thought that we forget that like a couple months ago, we thought that like punk was done and now he's come back, you know, to WWE and he's got a whole fresh coat of paint on him. So I'm, I'm sure that Moxley, you know, he can come back to WWE and they can do something with the shield. The thing that sucks about this though, is that, you know, there's not a, there's not a competitive number two right now. You know, and that and that's the thing that's been kind of a bummer, and you know, has kind of like taken a lot of my uh, my fandom away. Is that I I don't feel like there's, you know, I don't feel that there's anybody nipping at WWE's heels right now. Well, well, I guess we'll see what uh, what TNA can put together since they're trying to rebrand and and throw some some new money behind that. But AEW, it feels like. You know, we're we're watching the the collapse of WCW and that kind of it kind of sucks. Yeah. Well, that was that was dynamite or dud. Uh we can quickly go over uh world's end and then we'll get to uh the end of year awards spectacular and our surprise roast trying to pull up the world's end card because it seems to be changing uh by the moment. I got it in my in my photos. In your photos? What the fuck is going on in your phone? Here we go. Ready? All right. We got a 20-man battle royal. You're making that up. There's really not yeah, a battle on zero royal. Hour, on zero hour for a TNT title shot anytime, anywhere. <laughs> that's a, that's okay. So they announced the participants in this monstrosity? It's, it's fine enough. Who is the TNT champion? Is it Christian? It's still Christian, Christian, right? Christian, it'll probably be Edge by the end of this because a match on it is in a no-DQ match, Christian versus Edge versus Adam Copeland. All right, well, cool. So there's a battle royal uh, with a bunch of guys who probably shouldn't have jobs in uh, in AEW. Then uh, it's Hook versus Wheeler Yuta for the FTW title. Listen to that excitement. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, I, I don't know. Wheeler's like the ROH pure champion. I think it's kind of taken away from him because I haven't seen him do shit. Oh, speaking of haven't seen anybody do shit in a while. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Mike Lawrence, what's up, bro? How's it going? I, I am the Chris Von Eric of this podcast because if I'm not here, you don't even know I'm gone. <laughs> <laughs> I literally, oh, I literally just came from uh, the Iron Claw, which is why I'm laying down. Jesus fucking Christ! Uh, well, it's we, pretty good. To, it, I mean, it's uh, it's not a perfect movie, but there's a lot to love about it. I think. Yeah, no, it's it, it's pretty amazing. And I was in the theater, 
And the guy who played Ric Flair was so bad that I just had to text you guys because I knew that I would ruin the experience for the people I was with. Although the guy who played the Von Eric dad, I thought was terrific. Huh? Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he was great. Most so of, what was so bad one. about the, so was the Flair guy just, Heck, Efron, he didn't I thought look was like him or, you know, the Flair guy didn't look like him. Didn't sound like him. Didn't have any of the mannerisms. And he, he doesn't show up, but it's, it's you know, it, 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 it's a historical movie. He doesn't show up until, like, later in the movie, and it's only in, like, a, you know, he, like, cuts a promo and has a match, and it's just, it's like, you've seen fans at fucking events do a better flair impression, you know? Like, they really should have. Like, I think having Jay Lethal do it would have been less insulting than this guy. Well, I think yeah. that the, the, the problem, too, is that... um Ever, you know, the performances are very good in that movie. So the Rick yes. Flair, Rick Flair, Efron is great in it, yeah. uh, even. And uh, it's probably the best I've seen Efron since Neighbors or whatever. And, um, you know, it, he just, the guy who plays Flair just kind of sticks out like a sore thumb because everyone else in it is so good. It's also because it's like, you know, it's like the wrestler in that. Like, it's a transcendent movie in terms of like, if someone doesn't like wrestling, they could still see a like why it's important to the people it's important to and why it's cool. And then you see him and it's like, and he's, you know, he's positioned as right. Like the, the biggest champ in the world and the one you want to be. And it's like, if this guy sucks, then all fucking wrestling sucks. The only thing about the movie is like the end of it is so powerful and sad that it almost yeah. like, it makes you forget about, like what's not great with the movie like the the last scene with um with zach efron watching his kids play i mean that's the whole reason to watch the movie spoiler alert no (laughs) No, but what's amazing was like i we we left the theater and i was such a nerd out there i'm like did you guys know that there was even another suicide that they didn't put in the movie because it would have been too many suicides Did Adina like it or no? Yo, yeah, yeah. I, everybody, yeah. I, we went with another couple. And everybody loved it. It's it's a well-made movie. I, I personally think it should have been a miniseries. Like, MJF is barely in the film. Like, less like a second. And I think, like, the Lance Von Erich of it, which is not touched upon at all, is one of the most fucked up things Fritz did in terms of, and, and explains why the promotion failed the way that it did of, like, Thinking your audience is so fucking dumb. Like, oh, by the way, I have a son that you've never heard of. <laughs> Look, I'm just glad that too many suicides is not the name of this podcast. So we're doing <laughs> fine. There's still time. Uh, yet. Yeah. yeah, there there is still there is still time. Uh but, I mean you uh, literally I, I the first thing I logged in was, you know, Wheeler Yuna's in a match, and I was like, man, maybe I'll just von Eric myself now. Yeah, no, I think I think we're gonna von Eric the rest of the world's end predictions since Mike is here. Uh, there's really World's only- end could have been the name of the Iron Claw. <laughs> no, Kevin survived long enough to see his kids be on rampage. Yeah, Kevin survived long enough to be the Wizard in the Dark Crystal. Holy shit! <laughs> Do it he side is- by side. It's uncanny. It's so weird because he's the least charismatic guy. I, I worked with him in WWE for oh, a little yeah. bit. And it's just, hi, how are you? We're gonna we're gonna talk about wrestling. Like, how were you the fucking big draw? In I think he Texas? didn't kill himself because he didn't even have the confidence to pull the trigger. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Jesus Christ! Um, with that, let's get to the best of twenty twenty three. 
Uh, did you guys do your your your? Oh yeah, categories? buddy. Oh, All right. So we're gonna talk about Wheeler Utah more. I, 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 yeah, I prep well, for no, this. No, we're gonna get to Wheeler Utah. We get to start with Superstar of the Year. Um. All right. Yeah. So are, you, well, are we saying super no, or wrestler? You fucking. I'm, I'm just being a dick. It's wrestler okay. of the year. Relax. No, we do wrestler of the year when AEW's on top. We do superstar of the year when WWE's on top. And this year it was WWE. Yes, so it'll be That's sports fair. entertainment presentation of the year. Um. <laughs> so we'll we'll start with I just these are the order that we had them in the thing, but uh, we'll start with match of the year. Uh, Scott. We'll get this out of the way early. Which uh, well, which Omega <laughs> Osprey match did you pick? This was a very difficult decision for me. It was also a difficult decision for Sports Illustrated. Um, Sports Illustrated said that the number one match this year was a tie uh, between Will Osprey versus Kenny Omega and Kenny Omega versus Will Ospreay. Um, one of the matches in New Japan, one of the matches in AEW. Wait, since when do they let Meltzer write for Sports Illustrated? <laughs> well, you saw when they hired AI bots to write articles for Sports Illustrated. That's what they were talking about. Dude, I, I seriously... There is nothing was artificial the, or I just interrupt by saying, Meltzer. like, after I watched the Iron Claw with my wife, my wife was like, by the end of it, she was just sobbing, you know? Because it really is... I mean, for you like, know, all you ever want to do is watch wrestling related shit. <laughs> well, I, I said, this is the problem. I go, well, if you think that's sad, let's watch the dark side. And I put on the dark side. And then as soon as Meltzer came on, she stopped <laughs> crying and she goes, all right, I'm going to bed. And then she left the room and I finished the dark side by myself. I like that you still had a chance to get laid after watching the Iron Claw and blew it by showing her Meltzer. Yeah, that, that was not going to happen. He didn't even get to use his Iron Claw on her. <laughs> all right so scott which omega osprey match did you pick their relationship is on the fritz <laughs> <laughs> just when he thought mike was out he's back baby <laughs> I, I went back and forth uh i really debated it it comes down to this if you go on youtube and you type in kenny omega will osprey highlights the one from Wrestle Kingdom will we'll have a highlight video that's about four to five minutes long. And the one from Forbidden Door will have highlight videos that are eight to nine minutes long. <laughs> so I'm going to go with the Forbidden Door match. It had the Tiger Driver 91, which blew everybody's mind. Uh, will Ospreay finally got his victory. And I think that moment with the Canadian flag uh, showed great improv by them. Uh, because they really worked uh, a big portion of the match around it, and they made Don Callis's interferences seem um, extremely entertaining and worthwhile, in my opinion. So Forbidden Door, uh, Kenny Omega versus Will Ospreay was match of the year. Dan? You know, I, I, I went back and forth on this, like, you know, because there are there were a lot of great matches this year. I'm going to go with the two out of three tag team, uh, the two out of three falls match. Uh, it was... Bullet Club Gold versus FTR it was on a collision. It was about an hour. Um, you know, originally I, I was kind of toying with the Omega Osprey matches. I was toying with with the um the uh the hangman swerve match, but like I think that the hangman swerve match, the problem was that it just it alienated too many people. Like I know people that I watched it with that were just like, oh, that was gross. So I couldn't, and I, you know, like I just thought that the collision match, I didn't ex expect to enjoy it that much. And I thought that uh, the wrestling 
and it was fantastic. And it's, it's actually kind of, it's so bizarre to me that Tony hasn't capitalized on it because, you know, since that match now FTR aren't champions and Jay lethal was in a program we all forgot about for the world title. So. And yeah, so was Jay white. Yeah. No, Jay white. Sorry. I, I get my J's confused. So yeah, I, I, I'm going to go with two out of three falls match. That was my favorite match this year. Although, you know, like, I, the biggest match, the biggest matches felt to me were Dom and Ray and and Rhea and Charlotte. Those felt like bigger matches to me. But you know, still, the, my favorite match was was the two out of three falls. Sorry, I'm I'm gonna say Dan versus Demons because I think this was the blow off. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping one more match now. Uh, <laughs> fight forever <laughs> he's gonna puke um you still got it <laughs> never Actually, let me, the pocket. Me, me going to rehab was very much like that one von eric being lost in the woods <laughs> um, but, oh yeah. man i i'm gonna go with uh you know i was at mania night one um, I'm I'm going with the Usos versus uh Sammy and Owens. Um, it was I'm sure it was a great match on TV. It was phenomenal live, getting to see guys that look inclusion matters even for ugly people, and getting to see guys that look <laughs> like me and Sammy Zayn and Kevin Owens <laughs> wrestle in front of eighty thousand people. We've seen some Owens main event. We have not seen ginger beards. This was That's fucking dope. important. <laughs> and uh it was it was beautiful man uh just the drama of it all i went with my brother and uh you know he's not a fan and like he was like who the fuck are these guys and by the end he's like oh i get it like it had this epicness to it and it also you know i do think the endings of matches count and you know cody and reigns you know screwed the fucking pooch uh but this delivered and i i think that this was the hottest stuff of the year in WWE, the Sammy um, Kevin stuff I thought was even better than any of the the Cody stuff that that came later. Uh, so yeah, I thought that this this was fucking amazing. And yeah, I love Dom and Ray. I loved uh, Charlotte and Ripley. This like really blew the place uh, away. Of like, this is a fucking incredible match. And no one drank each other's blood and then appeared on TV in another match four days later. Yeah, I went I went back and forth but whether it was going to be the Omega Osprey Forbidden Door match or KO and Sammy versus the Usos. And the Forbidden Door match is what made me realize Will Osprey is the guy you build a company around, but the KO and Sammy versus the Usos match was a worthy WrestleMania main event match because you told such a beautiful story for so long and paid it off and I remembered watching it all these months later. Whereas to Scott's point, there were two Omega Osprey matches that kind of became interchangeable. And it's, it sucks to say it kind of watered it down a little bit because I couldn't remember which one was which, but this match really, really stood out. So yeah, my, and, my you know, it's was, like two nights of mania allows them to give people that would never main event a one night mania chance, you know, like black women and French Canadians. Beauty of the I'm, year. I'm so That's glad right. that you guys can feel that silence like we did. Yes. Because <laughs> we were all trying to think of like, are we allowed to make a joke when after he said black women? Like, that was it. Closed it off. Um, all right. Feud of the year, Scott. 
Oh, feud of the year is Sammy Bloodline. I think um, I know it bled in from 2022 into 2023, but I think it's yeah, it's the most compelling storyline in years. Um, I think it is actually like the the point where you go WWE has the upper hand, has my interest, and is doing something right. And the fact that they could do it with someone like Sami Zayn, who is in-ring just as good as anybody when he wants to be, even though, I mean, I guess his injuries have stopped that from being the case for a few years. But just in terms of looking back at his career, um, he he's a guy who, you know, people in AEW would have loved to have when his contract was up. And we all remember that when he re-signed, he got that match with Johnny Knoxville at WrestleMania. And then uh, a year later, he got to, you know, tag with his best friend and fight the Usos. Uh, I don't think there's a better story than Sami Zayn in 2022, 2023. And it sucks that he's kind of gone right now. I know he made like a post alluding to it's been a bit of a strange year for him. But damn, uh, I, I don't know what that was, but he is someone that deserves like a, a secondary title. In, in a big way or secondary focus just where has he been dan yeah i mean you know Sami Zayn versus the bloodline obviously that's the best story that wrestling has told in 10 years so you just have to by default say that but uh you know i guess you could also make the argument uh of tony khan versus cm punk even though we've <laughs> never seen it on on air that that's also been a gigantic uh storyline this year Mike, Chris Jericho versus Stephen Pinu. Because <laughs> there we go. Because for years wrestling wasn't happening on Christmas anymore, and they brought it back, baby. <laughs> Darkade twenty three. <laughs> I was so fucking uh, excited about that. Yeah, I, I, I. To me, yeah, it's. I, I think it's the the Sammy and the Bloodline, the way they did the Rumble. Um, you know him in his hometown and and all of that i thought it was yeah it was really well done and look like you know now it, it's harder to like it as much as other things just because we've seen like sammy's back where he was kind of thing but the fact that he got as far as he did is pretty amazing unto itself so that that would be it for me yeah i'm gonna uh, i'll agree with uh with scott and mike on that i had the the bloodline stuff i think it, whether it was the bloodline feud against Sammy or the bloodline feud with Jey Uso, both of those stories were, they were emotional, compelling. They were all kind of interconnected and continue to pay off. Uh, next up is male wrestler. Happy Mike of the year. Scott, who do you, who do you have? Oh, geez. Uh, it is Will Ospreay. I feel like me and Dan kind of had a back and forth in, in our group chat a week ago about this. But I think not just in ring, but like in in like fake bullshit wrestling world, Will Ospreay is the best wrestler of the year. So, OK, um, what I mean by that is that signing that AEW made where they announced way before they most people ever announced that there's a signing where they're literally like he's going to finish off his contract with another company and it looks like he'll be here sometime in March. Well, the reason they did that is because he is that much of an important commodity. Um, unlike anybody else in 2023, I think it wasn't just his peak year. I think it it's in a way a rookie year 
for for most eyes and for that to be a rookie year it doesn't even make sense the fact that he got one of the biggest moments at the the biggest uh pro wrestling event in 2023 which was all in london he was not under contract with this company and to get that type of shine against yes we all roll our eyes at chris jericho but he's chris fucking jericho and to have that match and you're not under contract it's because you are a uh, very big deal so that andy had match of the year in AEW, match of the year in new japan and match of the year in impact and a five-star match in impact which hasn't happened in 10 years so I just think he's wrestler of the year. And Dan, Seth Rollins is, you know, in many ways, I think a lot of guys in WWE that we go, oh, wow, are doing things like five years ago. They were doing things Kenny was doing. A lot of guys in WWE, when they blow your mind, it's things Will Ospreay is doing. I think Logan Paul matches are very much him sitting down, watching Will Ospreay and then taking Hangman's finisher. All right, Dan, you were the other side of that group chat argument. So who's your yeah, wrestler? Of the I, I year? was. I mean, first off, Scott thought we were arguing about something else. And then Scott realized he agreed with me about something because he just wanted to. Mark oh, yeah, that's true. Osprey. But um, I'll make the argument that it's Roman Reigns. Just uh, on, on, on the on the on the small. I know some people are going to disagree with me on that. But the fact is, this guy has been on top of a company that has completely risen like a phoenix from the ashes. And he's the one consistent Romanist champion. You know, like, he's the one thing that we can keep coming back to. You know, as far as, like, you know, Mike Lawrence probably has an interesting argument of who he thinks is wrestler of the year. But for me, it's like, you know, Roman has... We have to give some... We have to give Roman his flowers at some fucking point, right? I mean... This guy is this guy. You know this 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 guy has 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 been has been at the helm of the complete resurgence of WWE, and he's been on top the entire time. And so, one day he's gonna be on top of me. <laughs> I'm sexually attracted to Roman. That's neither here nor there. But I just think at some point you have to like recognize. And it's like, yeah, Scott's right. Osprey technically had the best matches, but Impact. Come on, Scott. What are we talking about here? I mean, it, well, I don't it, think it's I, I think Roman's impact is like fluffs and kind of bullshit. And, you know, the truth of Roman's legacy is he's a guy that's been on top for eight years and it was forced upon us for five and a half of those years. Um, it started working during COVID because everything was terrible. And so we got to have these little plays backstage and we went, oh, he's good at them. Uh, if COVID didn't happen that wouldn't have been happening and he still would have been getting eye rolls in the ring because he was uh vanilla and boring. Yeah, but you He's can't still you... fairly vanilla and boring. He just knows how to smile menacingly while guys like Sami Zayn knock it out of the park. And again, Paul Heyman, who is the best wrestling writer in history, who is behind the entire thing. I think you're st- you're bending over backwards not to give Roman his due. That, that's no, the... I think he's super I I actually can't lie. I don't I, I think he's very good. Um but he's not excellent at anything. It's just he's there because they put him there. Just like John Cena was there because they put John Cena there. None of us can admit that John Cena was ever the best or the guy. In truth, we all lived through it. It mostly fucking stunk and we hated it. And then there was some good shit. 
but it mostly stunk and we hated it. And that's Roman Reigns. It's very lame. And now and we that's get to watch other That's not true, though. Like, Roman's, it, had, but... Roman's had the best, like, okay, for the first, you, you get rid of the first four, four years, but the last, like, three and a half years have been magical. Sure. The things around him have been magical. And he stood there in the center of the ring and let it happen around him. And I think that's really cool. And it's a compliment to the writers and the performers and the fact that, yeah, they did choose this like perfect statue to be it. Roman Reigns is gorgeous. Almost nobody I mean, looks as cool as Roman Reigns. He it's does been the like same that thing for 10 every years. Week, That's why Vince every match. Him. But we're Vince also literally to say picked he's Roman the of the company because no one looks cooler than Roman Reigns. It's been the thing we like hated about him for the first five years of him being on top. Because it's like, yeah, we get it. No one looks cooler than him. But Jesus Christ, he stinks. And now the storyline is is very interesting. How much of that is him? I cannot tell you. He stands there. The matches aren't awesome. And the last five minutes of the matches are bad. So I don't know. I mean, Good to have he, old Scott back. This is fun. It, we haven't had, only, like, it, irrational... It's the only easy. main event pro... I, I, there, there hasn't been somebody, at least... Since Austin, where you're excited about it, I'll even say this: has. like I'm happy Punk is back, right? Do you think that those MSG um, numbers are because of CM Punk? Yes, I disagree. I think it's WWE is really hot, just like all those Roman numbers. Do I think it's Roman? No, I think WWE is super hot, and yes, they're the hottest things in WWE. But WWE is hot. Um, to be like Roman Reigns has dug WWE out of a hole. No, you can't dig this billion dollar machine out of a hole it got better writing vince left it wasn't roman saving everybody it was a group of writers saving everybody i, I will say i will say this to everyone in the comments who's disagreeing with me and agreeing with scott roman loves you despite yourself okay <laughs> hey mike who is your wrestler of the year okay so i think the overall wrestler of the year was rhea ripley I think that she had an amazing run. She looks like a fucking star to people who don't watch wrestling. She had a phenomenal WrestleMania match. She's the best part of the the Judgment Day. I think that um, as as we we learn every week from nine twenty five to nine thirty five, uh, it is not easy booking a women's division apparently, and uh, or making one of them into a star and. Uh, you know, I, I think this this was look, I actually I agree more with Scott than than Dan that Roman is a lot of bells and whistles. I think that Rhea is bells. That's, whistles. We watch wrestling because of the bells and whistles, guys. You know, we don't watch yeah, it. But I, I was going to say, I think that Rhea is bells, whistles and hard work and effort <laughs> and uh, the combination of both. And and look, Osprey is no bells and whistles to me. So I I, I just don't get excited about him. But uh, Ripley was just something that, you know, fucking, you know, we could all say it now because she's dead. China was never that good. Ripley is what we probably wanted from her, and it's way better. It's fucking amazing. I think that she should even um, be men's world champion at some point. She's that fucking over, and it's believable. Uh, that's me. So she's my overall that's my female answer so my male answer i guess would be um i'm gonna say cm punk because no one else made me want to watch monday night raw or collision and that guy did i watched them live wow. for that guy and that guy alone and those shows suck 
Yeah, and I'll say this. Um, I think a prediction for 2024, I think Rhea's so good that we're going to see her wrestle guys. There was that moment where she had a stare down with Orton, and everybody wanted Orton to RKO her. And I think part of it is we know she could fight back at some point. And so, yeah, I just want to see Rhea wrestle dudes. And I think that's a diss to Tony Khan and a guy like Kenny Omega who really want intergender wrestling to be something. I mean, uh, just, just, just you, know, you know how great Rhea is? If you guys could see in the comments section, she's clearly creeped out in this photo next to this guy, <laughs> but you can't even see it. That's how amazing of a performer she is. So there was a cool moment, Mike, from the MSG show. They did the house show like two days ago, whatever it was. And it was Punk versus Dominic Mysterio. And during the match, Rhea is like cheering. She sees a fan with his camera video. She goes over, poses for a picture with him, cuts a quick promo, turns around, goes back to the match. Like she understands the showmanship oh, element yeah. of what and she's the, doing. You know, I, I know it started last year. And, and you know, shout out to Rob Fee who I know put a lot of that stuff together um, with them. But, you know, at the, the the Thanksgiving with Ray and the Christmas, it's all so fun. It's interesting. And, yeah, it's like when she is in a rumble, when she, you know, I, look, I, I, I thought Gunther was fantastic too. I think that she has the intimidation of a Gunther, but then also the fucking personality of, uh, you know, like when Edge was good. 10 years ago. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll give my male wrestler of the year since you just mentioned him. My male wrestler of the year was Gunther. Uh, I think from a January to December, he single-handedly made himself a top-tier main event guy. The His performance in the Rumble match itself was incredible. His match with Drew and Sheamus was probably the one bright spot of the second night of WrestleMania. And he's also got the thing that you need to have as a wrestler – which is no matter who he's in there with, you, we talked about flair. He's got the flair thing where he makes you believe and care about the guy he's facing, even though you know the guy doesn't have a chance. He had a match with Mustafa Ali. He had a feud with Chad Gable. He had these amazing, you're going to shit on me, Mike, that's fine, I'm going to say it. He had these amazing matches with The Miz. His match with Miz on Raw a couple weeks ago was infinitely better than it had any right to be. And that's 85% because of Gunther. And when you're the guy that can get great matches instead of everybody else and he's not that old he's got a massive upside but he made the intercontinental title feel special every segment he's in feels special and i think he's got a, a really bright 2024 i think you're leaving out his biggest accomplishment he got the name gunther over <laughs> well, that, no one calls no, him walter anymore we Dan just accept it because that's how good he is the name is still terrible and we oh, all yeah. hated it when it started. But now you're just like, oh, that's Gunther. It's fine. Dude, yeah, I picked a no, Nazi as my Walter best wrestler was of the year. terrible, too. Yeah, so but... Have known he would have gotten it over. But damn, yeah, rough. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. And, I mean, an all-time Rumble performance. Yeah. Well, so female wrestler of the year, year I kind of feel like it's going to be a moot point since... Mike uh, laid out the strong case for Rhea Ripley. Rhea Ripley was my pick. Scott, Dan, anybody, any Sky Blue fans? No, I mean, it's, it's clearly Rhea. Yeah, Rhea was my pick. I think she's a uh, a big star. I have friends that are non-wrestling fans who send me 
gifs of her. Sometimes they're just pictures of her. I actually have to ask them why they're sending me them. But I got a buddy who just sends me Rhea Ripley photos. Huh. Yeah, I have a buddy who does that too. He's very sexually attracted to Rhea Ripley. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it, it, here's the thing too, right? Like, wrestling still is just a fucking circus run by carnies at the end of the day. I like that she looks like a fucking circus freak in a way. You know, she is mesmerizing. Like, she passes that airport test of, oh, that's a fucking star. That's a wrestler. Thank God. Because, you think, know, yeah, there's certain the biggest, British guys that had five-star matches in Impact this year that I couldn't say that about. The biggest compliment to Rhea Ripley is we think back to when we talked about Judgment Day when that first started and how fucking terrible that was to the point where, like, this is going to kill Edge's career. Rhea Ripley has made Judgment Day you know, almost as, as important as the bloodline. I mean, it's been carrying raw almost entirely because of Rhea Ripley's charisma. She's helped get Damian priest over. We see the response that Dominic Mysterio gets as a heel. I think she's probably the most valuable commodity WWE has right now. My only, my only criticism is that besides the judgment day stuff, I mean, like, can you remember a feud she was in? The Charlotte Flair feud was was pretty strong. Yeah, that I mean that match was great, but the feud was all right. You know, like her, her feuds themselves, there there hasn't been a really great feud for her yet. Yeah, but we're gonna get that. We're clearly building to her and Becky. I think that'll be a hell yeah. of a feud. Yeah, I think that should be great. All right, next up is uh, tag team of the year, Scott. You know, um, I have FTR, and I gotta say, I don't think any tag team like deserves it right yeah but uh which is unfortunate because i think AEW could have an awesome tag team division but ftr was still even though they were barely on television it felt every time they were on tv they felt like a tag team they felt like the tag team and uh when they had matches they backed it up and almost no other tag team did that there's a tag team on raw that they were just on nxt this is how I think lame tag team wrestling has been in uh, this year. And I agree with Dan. I think that tag match on collision was one of the best of the year. And it was Jay White and, and Juice who aren't even really a tag team, right? Um, but there's a tag team on Raw that I really like because part of because they're kind of green. And so they go for it. Well, what's their name, Robert? Creed Brothers. Yeah, they're great. But no, Creed Brothers are a blast. Know. It's FDR. Dan? You know, I'm going to go, like Scott said, I don't think there's a, you know, like in ring it was FTR, but I'm going to actually go with with uh, Finn Balor and Damian Priest just because they've storyline kept that, kept both Raw and the tag division alive all year. Like they're not, um, you know, like are they like, you know, in, in ring technicians with each other? No, but like when Roman's not around and when Cody is kind of siloed off with Brock, they, they've been, you know, they've been kind of the thing that keeps a three-hour show from dragging. So I'm going to give it to those two guys. Mike? I mean, it's got to be the devil's masked men. They just fucking won last <laughs> night. Can't argue with that. Yeah. Um. You know, honestly, it's anxiety and depression because just one of those wouldn't make me still watch wrestling. But the combination of the two... <laughs> Um. Okay, so I, 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 I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Owens and Zane. And which right. look, I mean, I agree with you guys. It wasn't a great year. 
for tag team wrestling. A lot of teams have been squandered. Uh, you know, the acclaim just weren't as fun as they were last year. And, you know, and, and FDR did have some good matches, but just not consistently enough. But Zane and Owens, I, I, I hate when the best tag team is two guys together, but they don't ever feel thrown together. They feel meaningful. So the, it's them for me. As much as I would want to pick FTR, I think to Scott's point, they really didn't get to do much this year. And a lot of the story of 2023 was FTR not being used uh, or pulling firearms on people. So my my tag team of the year, I, I went with were the Usos because they had such a strong first half of the year. That main event of night one of WrestleMania, I thought they earned that spot. Uh, they've been compelling apart. They had a they had a number of really fun matches throughout uh, the first half of 2023. But uh, I also I almost went Judgment Day, but I decided I was going to go with uh, with Jimmy and Jay. Uh, next up, uh, best promoter of the year. Uh, this is a non Meltzer voting category, so this might make it a little easier. Scott, who do you got? Oh, it is uh, Paul Levesque. Yep. Triple H, Hunter Hearst, Helmsley. Dan? is. Now, in a weird even... way, I think Vince deserves a little credit. Why? Because, Why? Well, because he was still there, right? He was still technically the head up until when? After Mania. And the Cody thing, the Cody build was great. It was the Cody finish that sucked. How long has Vince been gone? He's been gone Vince, a minute. Vince's credit as a booker this year has been him being in back in power for like two weeks and all of us going, no, 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 no. You know, <laughs> and then he went away. It was all, it was actually amazing. Oh, okay. So someone's saying SummerSlam 2022 Triple H. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So then, yeah. So it's just Triple H. He turned the whole ship around. I think um, at the beginning of the year is when we started noticing characters talking behind dialogue happening right like backstage and you were going yeah. like oh literal layers in storylines and then i think every storyline got that to the point where you bring up gunther and i go yeah that's a guy who um has every right to be considered wrestler of the year why not and there's guys like seth rollins who deserve to be talked about like that and cody rhodes and Sammy in a way and going into next year, there's like 10 guys you give a shit about now that punk is involved. So yeah, it's triple H. I think he has laid down like five major storylines. It's kind of unheard of. Mike, Drew, Drew. like we give a shit about Drew. This, this is kind of like, I mean, it's not even a debate, you know, it's, it's Paul Levesque and, you know, I think uh, it's going to be really crazy because of the Observer. You know, Tony's going to win it again this year. And, and I mean, it's just going to be at that point. If, if, at that point, if you're the Observer, do you just rig it and be like, all right, like Paul's clearly the winner. So we have to say it's Paul to just so our like, so our like, our fan base doesn't look terrible. No, you know, what, what uh, Dave will do is he'll do the bullshit he used to do where he would give Dana White Booker of the Year. Well, that's true too, but I, I he think used to do that to try to avoid, you know, saying something pro WWE. So it's very possible it's going to be that, or 
I don't know who the fuck's booking like New Japan or I don't know what's going on in CMLL. Like he'll find a way around it. I mean, uh, but- you know, honorable mention to Billy Corkin. It takes a lot of talent to fuck up a CW deal. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you have to work on that. Um, great job, world as a vampire. Uh, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna say I agree, but I think it's and this is the big difference. It's Paul Levesque and friends. I think he listens to people. I think that he's used the writing staff more than anyone has in a good while that he takes ideas from other people. He takes ideas from the wrestlers. You know, um, I think once AEW started and we were all really excited about it, this was Tony Khan's to win or lose. And, you know, he, to me, this is less about Triple H's victory and more about, Tony's failure and uh, a lot of that is that he's not listening to enough people or, or let alone the right people I guess because the, the on-screen product is not great and I think that Triple H is you know putting Shawn Michaels in charge of NXT is a great fucking idea um, yeah. there's no one more credible than that guy uh, you know in bringing the next group of talent and uh so I think, yeah, it, it's got to be Triple H, but the fact that, you know, a Rob Fee gets to pitch these out-of-the-box ideas um, and have viral videos and things like that, I think that that really matters, and I don't think that that would be Triple H on his own, but I think that Triple H is willing to listen and admit that he doesn't know everything and that, uh, uh, you know. To add on to what Mike said, I think that the 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 real... How Paul Levesque kind of cemented himself as TKO's guy, as WWE's no guy, as like the brain trust of WWE is, you know, after the whole CM Punk debacle, he took a picture with him and he said, hey, he's our guy now. And, you know, these guys fucking hate each other, you know, like like they hate each other with a passion. And and Hunter was still like, no, I'm going to show I'm going to show you guys I'm different than Vince. And he did. And I think it's, you know, to Triple H's credit that, you know, I, I, I think I, I'm I'm of the 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 camp and and I'm sure there are other people that, that Cody should have won and he didn't and it didn't ruin the product. And um and, and I think, you know, when you look at the end of the year, you know, that was in what April, but now that when we look at it with the TKO purchase and everything, from a business perspective, it makes sense that they didn't make that change you know and so yeah it's it to me it's triple h and and another i I think another high compliment for him is relevant celebrities celebrities that actually bring in people that uh would watch wrestling you know the the use of logan paul and you know bad bunny that map that match was at the beginning of this year right in puerto rico with damian priest yeah, I mean, yeah. to, to give that guy a 26-minute match and for it to be that good, that's just good fucking booking. And that guy is a legit massive star, and WWE capitalized him at the right moment. All right, and obviously my booker of the year was Court Bauer. I'm joking. Uh, <laughs> all right, the next the next pick, the next category, and this Fritz is- Fritz von Eric. The next category, and this is only for Scott to answer. Scott, who is the worst promoter of the year? I, I truly believe, I mean, look, 
I think Billy Corgan was riding on Titus for a while. You motherfucker. But <laughs> but Billy but like if your show is 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 in the dirt and then you just like cuddle up in the dirt, you that's not worst booker of the year. You've just maintained the booker that you are. And that's what Billy Corgan has done. Tony Khan uh has become the worst booker. If uh, if you are on top and then you fall to the bottom, uh, he he is uh, he has ruined enough storylines, dropped enough balls. Also, you got to remember what a booker's real job is, which is communicating to talent, sitting down da- down with them, uh, making sure you're doing what's best for business in terms of like what's the most compelling match we can get for the fans. That's a booker, right? Hey, what does everybody want to see? Oh, what do you want? It doesn't fucking matter what you want because I'm the booker and this is what the fans want. And as the booker, I want what the fans want. And instead, Tony as a booker just like locked himself in a room all year. Uh, I genuinely think he locked himself in a room all year. I think that's why the show has gotten so bad. I think it's why, you know, w- when we talk about the CM Bunk situation, we tend to shit on the Bucks or even shit on Jack Perry. When the truth is the young Bucks are fucking mad at Tony Khan. Um, I would assume Jack Perry is mad at Tony Khan. I think everybody is mad at Tony Khan. And so if CM Punk is mad at Tony Khan and everybody else is mad at Tony Khan, it's Tony Khan and nobody else. And so he's the worst booker of the year. Yeah, he uh, he did some real damage to his company uh, this year. Yeah, big year for cocaine yeah. and wrestling, bringing down Billy Corgan yeah, and Tony Khan. At least Booker, LJ said. <laughs> All right, uh, next is uh, breakout. Triple H star. won the award for best Booker with half a heart. <laughs> oh man, so Bill, you've been half-hearted this whole year, Mike, and you're still here, so. All right, our breakout star of the year. This was originally going to be like rookie of the year, but we're like, what the fuck? Like, you can't determine a rookie. So breakout star, the guy in 2023 that that really took off. Scott, who did you uh, who'd you pick? Mama Wayne. Mama Wayne. Oh, Mama Wayne. I do love Mama Wayne. Um, Yeah, she took off. But uh, so Andy Starr wrote in the comments, Dominic Mysterio. I think we all agree Dominic is a star. Um, but I felt like he was also a star in 2022. And so I'm actually going with, because I did, I thought this was going to be rookie of the year. And then we did have a tough decision on deciding what the hell does rookie mean? And so to me, it's like a turnaround, maybe a year where you just went, Oh, wow, what a real talent. And I think Tony storm did that in a way that almost nobody else did where it's like, yeah, not only are you good in the ring, oh, wow, this is a completely different character that didn't exist a year ago. It's way better than anything you've ever done and maybe one of the best things AEW's ever done. Uh, Yeah, there's things they could make better about it, but she has has really knocked it out of the park. Dan? Um, Yeah, this was was tough for me because, you know, again, like Scott said, Dominic Mysterio is also kind of a 2022 pick. You know, you could say Trick Williams, but NXT is just not big enough. Tony Storm, I, I mean, I, I can't argue with that either, but I just have to go with, like, 
despite us not really liking him on the podcast, LA Knight elevated himself to the main event, man. And I know, yeah. I know people are like, he's terrible. And, and uh, people were like, well, it's just a bunch of catchphrases and it's all, you know, attitude error, memory stuff. And it makes me miss. And there's people in that company that don't even like LA Knight, but there hasn't been a guy who has really like, elevated himself like this since Daniel Bryan, as far as, you know, the company not wanting to really be behind him and people just thinking he, you know, the audience making him a star. So like, even though I'm not, I'm no LA night Mark, I can't deny that. I mean, like, I, you know, I have to trust my eyes, right? I mean, this guy became a massive star this year, whether we like him or not. When he won that stupid battle, like swim gym battle Royal that felt huge and like, you know, like in AEW, we get a new battle royal every week. Nobody cares about him. You were such a WWE shill, Dan. It's disgusting. Uh, Mike, who was your pick for breakout star of the year? Well, yeah, I'm not going to pick, uh, you know, breakout star of uh, wishes it was still 1998. Um, so uh, I, I, I'm going to go with. Um, and, and hopefully, and look, I, I think they made a bad decision yesterday, um, but I'm going to go with Swerve. Um, and look, I mean, yeah, I, I agree. Rookie is, is tough. It, it would be Mama Wayne. <laughs> um, but I, I think Swerve, like, as, oh, shit, like, the fact that he's overcome so much bad booking and so much inconsistent, you know, amounts of screen time and to shine as much as he has uh, and be a guy that look like I, I don't, I don't dislike, you know, LA night in the sense like who hates mediocrity. It's just, you know, I just want something better. Um, you know, uh, I, I just think that swerve is great and more people are seeing it and um, you know, and, and hopefully they will listen to how amazing he was on our podcast two years ago and <laughs> give us more listeners. I'm, I'm glad you're, you're finally almost over, over that. Um, I, so I was, I was leaning towards swerve because I think back to, well, my favorite thing about that podcast episode is you get to hear like Robert talk about hip hop, which is, Ooh, if you ever, if you ever want to hear a cat drown, that's, that's a, that's a, pretty <laughs> yeah, if you ever, if you ever uh, wanted to see someone do an impression of Paul Giamatti and straight out of Compton, <laughs> that's, that's fair. Uh, had you been there when I had to have a conversation with Wale about hip hop, that would have been, that could have been filmed for Patreon. Um, yeah. Robert was, was like, Hey, Wally, I love you. And so do my kids. Exactly. Um, Swerve was a guy who earlier this year was literally just, he was not a metaphor. He was just drowning, had nothing going on, nothing to do. And now he's a top guy. Um, but my, my breakout star of the year was Kyle Fletcher. Kyle Fletcher went from, I don't know who this guy is. I don't know his name. I can't tell which one he is to, oh, this is a guy you can really get behind over the next three to five years and and build a division or potentially a promotion around. So for my money, that would be what I would quantify as a, a breakout star to go from, wait, which one is this fucking guy to, oh, I really want to see what he does. Again, excluding what happened last night on Dynamite. And I would say Aussie Open still sounds like the swinger party Rhea and Buddy have every year. Don't get Dan that excited. We need to we need to keep a focus for the rest of the uh, show. He said Buddy and Rhea, not Roman and Roman. 
That's fair. What man? What what happened? What happened to Drew? You don't want to fuck him anymore? I don't know. I don't think Drew even <laughs> wants to fuck him anymore. Like a dance projecting depression onto Drew. Um, <laughs> all right, you're not uh, depressed when you name a sword after your dead mom. <laughs> no, Mike. It's only if it's the soul of its victims inside the sword that it's better. What Drew McIntyre is Katana from Suicide Squad. Yeah. It's just about the same decent booking. Uh, next yeah. is uh, best pay-per-view or premium live event of the year. Scott, we'll start with you. Um, I I did think like the WrestleMania as a package, it it did feel very special this year. Um, the Cody Rhodes build, um, the Sami Zayn match the night before, it felt proper and epic and exciting. So yeah, I will have to give it to uh to WrestleMania this year. Dan. I'm going to go with Backlash Puerto Rico just because it felt very different. It, it, it felt kind of like the like when you when when you play like the WWE video game, you want to go play the you want to try out the Backlash level just because of how how cool it was and just how rabid that fan base was. Mike. The hour before all in. <laughs> Dude, I had a five star match and we haven't even seen it. Yeah, how impressive that is. I I think I mean for me it's easy uh is is WrestleMania uh night one like I'm I'm glad it was my first mania ever I am glad that uh I just went to night one and you look like WrestleMania was able to do something that Shazam to Fury of the Gods couldn't which was just make me not think about my dead dad for a few hours <laughs> that's all I wanted and Fucking WrestleMania did it, and that was nice. Uh, so, I think I think that could have been just, you know, if you added Roman and Cody to that, there's your whole fucking show right there. Maybe maybe get rid of uh, the the tag match and put in the the Gunther match instead, and you know, it's a pretty fucking full card. All right, um, I couldn't go Mania just because Night Two of Mania was so rough. Um, but sort of similar along Dan's lines, I picked money in the bank 2023 and it was in London. That crowd was white hot. The money in the bank matches were really good. The main event was the, the Usos versus Roman and solo. That was a really, really fun match. Like that was another reason why the Usos were my, my tag team of the year. Uh, and it was, you know, different audience, different vibe, just a, a real blast of a show. Uh, next up the old yeller award. So this is the award for the old guy that we want to see uh, get put out to pasture at the end of 2023. Scott, who is your pick? Um, look, this this cat, it is old yeller. It is wrestling, though, so they can be buried and come back to life in a, in a Stephen King novel type of way. So for that reason, I think uh, Chris Jericho needs to be old yellered. Um. I think everything he has touched it this year, maybe the last two years, maybe the last three years, and I'm just really riding that high of his first year in AEW. Um, I think he's been a detriment to everything he's been involved in. Um, I know that's also bad booking and bad writing, but I feel like when Chris Jericho is involved in the bad booking, he you could picture him being very hands-on with that booking. Uh, I feel like he 
he can't be off TV. Like he likes being on TV. And for that reason, we get a lot of really um, dud type moments and dud type matches. What I do love is that yeah, now I mean, both him that... and his wife have failed to lead a revolution. <laughs> and the fact that this week, yeah, the, uh, you know, we're all uh, kind of just over this CM Punk shit, this NDA shit, this backstage brawl shit. And sure, the dirt sheets are going to talk about it and mention it. But the fact that Jericho sees that. Uh, and sees it as an opportunity to respond and respond in a way that is like, um, oh, guess what? I can also say the truth, and I know this and that. It's like the last thing we want to hear from a guy who's only really ever proven that he's full of shit, not that he's going to tell the truth. He's just going to tell his version of the truth, which is um, corny as hell. So, yeah, I think he's got to go. Oh, like, and also, I think oh. your boy Houseman, Robert, has kind of alluded to the fact that, you know, again, when when all this CM Punk drama was going on with Meltzer, Punk was saying that the Bucks are talking to Dave, the Bucks are talking to Dave. And people were like, the Bucks don't talk to Dave. Um, well, Houseman is kind of implying that Jericho talks to Dave a lot. And it seems to make sense. You know, he's the same guy who does Dark Side of the Ring. And is willing to do the, the you know the narration for a Ric Flair episode, and then welcome Ric Flair with open open arms into AEW. Um, I don't think he has any real standards other than me me me. How do I get my name out there? And so for that reason, he got to go. Dan, yeah, I mean Scott is the only. I mean people can say like people can say Ric Flair, but there's something like very bizarre about like Ric Flair, you know being used in AEW now it's it is very much we're at his Hulk Hogan pirate costume phase it 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 feels it does feel like Rick was like buried in a gimmick graveyard and came back so there's almost like something interesting to watch about it opposing to Jericho who like it just seems like his his MO at this point is I'm just going to prove everybody who says I was the greatest of all time wrong you know, like, and, uh, you know, it, it's unfortunate because, you know, like, you know, like we would watch these old pay-per-views and, and Jericho would be the best part of the WCW pay-per-view and it'd be the best part of the WWE pay-per-view. And, you know, you, you get what, what you get now, which is just kind of like, I don't know. And, and again, it's like, it, it, like, even from like some of the Nick Hausman stuff, it's like you bring up the NDAs and then Nick Hausman brings up jericho's ndas and jericho like blocks nick hausman and it's like now you're creating controversy where there was none so you know it's it it clearly the guy you know the the only thing that like makes me like not say jericho is like well he's clearly an alcoholic that needs help and i hope he gets help you know like uh that's 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 it but I, i don't think i think like I think the old yellow award with Jericho is as much of like Paul, like it's as much of a gimme as Paul Levesque getting Booker of the year. Like there's no one else who, who comes close. Mike. Um, I think there is uh, someone who comes close and it is uh, Moxley. Mm. I think that he is as, if not more detrimental to the company 
than Jericho is um, in the sense that like just even last night that was swerved to win. Now it's Moxley again. They, the amount they rely on Moxley in these matches on TV, it never changes there. Look, I don't, I think he's a good wrestler. I think he can be a good talker at times. I'm just bored of it. I'm bored of both of those guys. I think that the, uh, you know, the problem is, you know, I think Jericho's problem more more than Moxley's is like, you know, I can leave and come back, but now he's fucking Catwoman at the end of Batman Returns. He's got one life left, and he's afraid of being over forever and uh, not being able to come back again after this run. And he's like 54. So for Jericho, there's that, you know, fear. Uh, but, you know, he's his one of his biggest talents has always been knowing when to leave and he's just not doing it anymore. And I, I think it's, you know, Moxley still never took that month long vacation. He was supposed to <laughs> when punk got hurt and it, it, you still feel it, man, just the redundancy. It's like, it feels like in terms of uh, television, real estate, both of those guys get 20 to 30 minutes a week. Um, you know, everyone shits on MJF for that but i think these guys are way more detrimental i think they've done as much as they can we've seen everything from them and i think that aw as a company for its future would be better off without jericho and boxley right now yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna piggyback on something dan kind of said before i'm i'm picking jericho just because he was one of my top five of all time and now every time he's on television, I'm like cringing that he's going to do something embarrassing or terrible and make it even just more difficult for me to ever say, yeah, no, I'm a Chris Jericho fan. He He's lost whatever that was. And then the antics that you're seeing with him on Twitter behind the scenes, great for my rumor and innuendo podcast listeners are very excited about, you know, his feud with Nick Hausman, but I'm personally just like, I don't want to see this. Like, please just go away and and stop and retire in a, in a nice pasture somewhere. Uh, best promo of the year. Scott, who you got? Uh, I, I genuinely believe it is uh, Will Ospreay at the Wrestle Kingdom press conference getting in Omega's face and cutting like a five-minute promo on, um, you know, his time in New Japan during the pandemic. He brings up deaths, uh, the sacrifices that he and other guys have made, and it was just really uh, powerful. And I just also think there weren't that many uh, unbelievable promos this year. Dan, why is Scott wrong? Uh, it's Christian. Christian, I've watched that compilation of him talking about, uh, you know, being everybody's dad, like, multiple times now. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's Christian. Mike? This, this, that we're going in the way back machine for this one. And, you know, this, I, I only say this is a cheat in that we were able to get a full behind the scenes discussion of this. And yep. it, I guess, I, I'm guessing it's Robert's pick too. Uh, Paul Heyman with Cody Rhodes. And uh, I think it's February 6th. But you know he was on the Brian Koppelman's podcast. Is it called the Moment? He was on. He was on Brian Koppelman's podcast. Yeah, the Moment. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And you know him talking through that, but the way that 
his voice cracked, how emotional. They both were so good in that. That was everything that I love about wrestling. I, I, I think, you know, the world of Heyman, and I think that he brought Cody to his level in that promo. Um, it, they were both just so fucking amazing. It was, you know, it was one of those things, like, that promo was so great that you're like, I just want to fucking see this match now. And now you look at it, and it's two months before the actual Mania match. But it got it, it was all you needed. It was just so well done. And one of the things, you know, we love as wrestling fans is when our intelligence isn't insulted, uh, which is rare. And this, you know, these were real people talking about real things, but in the confines of a kayfabe wrestling match, and it all just fucking worked beautifully. Uh this was a masterpiece to me. So that's that's mine. Yeah, I uh, that was that was what I had uh, as promo of the year. I just think the what they were able to pull off for that was uh, was amazing. Slightly tarnished by the fact that Cody, you know, didn't win at Mania, but I think that's that's splitting hairs. And that that podcast with Heyman breaking that down is is definitely worth going out and listening to. Uh, worst promo of the year. I'm gonna guess this is gonna be a clean sweep, but I'm gonna start with you, Dan. Um, well, I mean, you know, somebody didn't, somebody, uh, somebody had argued with me about this, but I'm going to go with Tony Khan's, I fear for my life promo. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's kind of like, that's the one that, um, that's, that's the one that kind of, you know, really started the downturn of, of AEW. So I, I've got to go with Tony Khan's, I feared for my life promo. And I think that, you know the 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 picture then of Paul and and CM Punk was so devastating because of that promo. So yeah, I, I've got to go. I've got to go with uh, fear for my life. Now, do Mike? you go? Let, let me just ask: Do you go for the seven minute live version in Chicago or the televised um, taped version? You mean the one where you get to sit in a chair? Yeah. <laughs> which, which one do you think was worse? The, the the one that aired or the one that they 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 uh filmed on uh you know fan cams i don't know i don't know um you know yeah something about um they're almost like companion pieces to one another oh yeah weird way because like i i would say the one that i picked but the what the moment the the worst moment of the year is when tony is cutting that promo and gives up and sits down yeah buries his head in his hands and as somebody who's like bombed in front of many audiences before uh i know that and uh you know i i think that i I don't know. That's really it. That's it's hard, man. That's like what, what? What do you like? Do you like pie or ice cream better? They they go well together. All right, Mike. What was your worst promo of the year? You know, I I think that that's a great answer. I like the variety of, especially when we're talking about shitty stuff. To me, and this was a moment of like, do I even like wrestling? I know I don't like this company at the moment. Was that Four Pillars promo when they Ooh. all? talked uh to each other i think it was in april but where they just you know and and i think this has been a a big problem with AEW promos and in general when they all just said really mean shit to each other that's true it doesn't get anyone over but this was the epitome of that and i think when you look at 
the success of a promo, right? It's you want to see the match. Uh, when a promo fails, you don't even want to see the talent that are on screen ever on screen again. And this this ruined Sammy, Darby, and Jungle Boy in one fell swoop. It took away any tension to the world title match. I think, you know, in a booking sense, you know, MJF fighting Brian and this Iron Man and then going after these three guys and going back to that Pillars thing, I think was a, a, a smart, clever idea, but they just were not ready. And it was very clear. And when you show your future to have no promise, it's like, why even fucking watch the show? So I think the fear for my life, like, is a funnier, like, laughing stock thing. But this was just like, oh, they, this company doesn't have anything right now. Scott? Yeah. So mine is actually, well, I know there was the Golden Jets one a few weeks ago where people are saying Kenny was sick and, but still, it was very uncomfortable. Uh, Ricky Starks and Big, Big Bill were there. Uh, Ricky Starks and Big Bill are involved in my least favorite promo of the year. It was on Collision. I don't know if you guys remember this, but it's Christian and Edge cutting a promo on each other. Christian has security. There's like this giant guy in an orange suit who looks like more physically fit than every wrestler on the roster. I've never seen him since. Um they cut a pretty lame promo on each other. And then Ricky comes out with Big Bill. Danielson is out there. Uh, it opened an episode of Collision. And it's such a bomb. Edge gets butt hurt at something Ricky says. Oh, and yeah. calls him like a vanilla midget version of The Rock. It made Edge look really bad. And I thought it made everybody in the ring look bad. Because this was a, a show up until this point, Collision where it did feel like CM Punk had a little bit of control. Um, and just like on Dynamite, the guys who are there have some say. And when Edge showed up and you see him in the ring with these guys and you know they're probably responsible for this and it was that bad, uh, I just thought it kind of exposed Edge. And, and this entire run has exposed him as a guy who like maybe doesn't really have great ideas. Because uh, everything he's done so far has been lame. So I, I was almost going to pick the Golden Jets promo because it was so bad it put Kenny in the hospital. But the the promo that stick it still sticks out to me is, I can't believe I'm going to pick, MJF's promo going into the Danielson-Iron Man match where he talks about getting in the car accident and framing the girl was as close to a Katie Vick moment as you're going to get. His whole thing is there's an authenticity when he's talking, but he's an asshole. You believe what he's saying, but you know that he's a prick. This was such a goofy sports entertainment storyline from the guy who, when he gave the, the, the promos about why he wanted to fight punk, or his his childhood, or all these different memories and moments, and then you're telling this story that we know is a complete fabrication, it immediately makes you want to stop watching. And I never thought I would reach a point where I'm going, I don't want to see an MJF promo, and that was it. That and then was, they turned to baby face. <laughs> then they turned to baby face, because fuck that girl. All right, uh, next was... Uh, the biggest debut of 2023, Scott, you can't pick uh, Osprey for this. So what's your pick for biggest debut of the year? 
biggest debut of the year is uh, CM Punk in WWE. Which, by the way, I thought you were going to pick for worst promo. So you kind of faked me out a little bit. <laughs> oh, no. That was uh, most disappointing promo. That shit was lame. That was a bad promo, and I will stand by it. CM Punk's first promo in WWE was terrible. And there's nothing anyone can do to rewrite that history. Uh, it was a major L. But I think his return is huge. And I think, like I've said before, I, he's he's going to be a major reason I watch WWE in 2024 and beyond. Because I don't think it's just this Rollins program. Uh, I think the thing about CM Punk and part of the reason we were so excited to have in, him in AEW is most of the programs he has... Uh, they're really meaningful because he puts a lot of heart into what he does. And so his feud with Roman involving Heyman is going to be great. He can make a feud with Ricochet be great if he wants it to be. And so, yeah, I think debut of CM Punk. It was also, you know, a blow to AEW and uh, it showed how hot WWE is. Damn. And how willing to do business WWE is. Well, I mean, all that WWE shit is do go hand in hand. I mean, I, I, I agree with Scott. It's got to be CM Punk at Survivor Series. Um, you know, this, this CM Punk, Seth Rollins feud is really interesting because like, it seems real, but is it all fake? Because like, I, I thought Seth never really had a problem with CM Punk. Guys, who like... wants to have the conversation with Dan about pro wrestling he's never had? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm serious. That's how good that's how good Seth has been. Get on my lap, son. Let me tell you about the word predetermined. <laughs> I, I'm just I'm serious though because like when Yokozuna Seth... was a guy named Rodney from California. When when Seth cut that promo on 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 uh, Punk in Nashville, I mean it's just crazy that he's been able to he like actually made money off of something. That you know that that they shoot couldn't make money off of in AEW. Like Seth is, you know, is is making money off it because like that that's never been a narrative before this. There's never been there's heat between Punk and Seth. No, Am that's I... not true. There has been. He shit talked him. Oh, he did. Yeah. All right. Well, well, so Punk um in the Cole Cabana interview, one Punk never wanted Reigns in the Shield, right? So the I know the I know Reigns and Punk is like, like legit, right? Yeah. But then when he left and he went on Cabana's podcast, he said that guys like Seth Rollins and Ambrose um, will just sit there and listen and they don't really have any direct. He was like very like they'll just do whatever the, this company tells them to do. And what the company is telling them to do is fucking lame. And so the company will always be lame. And he kind of ex expressed that he toes the company line. Um, and then I remember even like three years ago, Punk shitting on um i mean sorry Rollins shitting on punk around wrestlemania season when everyone has to you know hit up the press like in that big circle well i guess everybody just hates but obviously Bill. they're fine with it because how could you not be fine with with a thing like that who cares it's not a big deal right. but yeah i think punk is shit talked uh way too many people yeah mike what was your uh, okay? Debut? So best debut, I'm picking a, a true debut, someone who has never wrestled before, who is now undefeated at WrestleMania, one and zero. I am going with Snoop D O Double G yeah, in his match against the Miz. My one of my favorite moments of the fucking year. 
I don't know if we're going to fit it in anywhere else because I, I don't remember what the, the categories are. But this, this this moment is, oh, my God, I watched it so many times. And But the fact that Snoop, to Snoop's credit, and, and I am giving genuine praise here, called an audible and actually pinned Miz was impressive, especially for how old and high that guy is. Um, so well, my weird best... thing of like Shane just, I mean, again, if you want to look at like Shane's storyline as a wrestler, he had that rumble where he was totally maligned and they're like, why is he throwing this many people out? And he, yeah, the year off, before. Yeah. Pissed off people backstage. And then he comes back and just completely like complete church, uh, fart and church shit. It's, uh, it's, it's pretty incredible, man. And it's like, it's you know, Vince like, told him to break a leg beforehand and then just went. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just it was it was the weirdest, you know, because we watched the Dante Martin injuries. We've seen these injuries where we're like these poor fucking guys. I've never seen an injury bring the wrestling community together like that Shane injury. Like, yeah, because the like, oh, I think Dante was literally was two days before and it was just seeing someone that young and hopeful and then. Someone so old and hopeless <laughs> two days later. It was almost hurt. a perfect I mean, segment because really... we when, when he came out, everybody was like, oh, they're, they're going to fucking do this. And then it turned into that. And we're like, thank God they did this. But the fact that everyone was like, but, you know, through the professionalism of Snoop Dogg. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, my big, yeah, my debut was, was punk. Uh, biggest in-ring fail. Scott, biggest. Oh, I didn't even know that was a category. That was you. You were the one that wrote the fucking. I wrote category. biggest in ring fail. You wrote biggest in ring fail, and then biggest uh, outside the ring fail. Oh, so that was like a, a high spot, low spot thing. Oh, because you also gave high spot, low spot. So yeah, yeah, right. yeah. So let's do that because that's the same idea, right? Unless you guys, I, I, know, have I came different... up with two different things. Did, did you guys come up with two different, different things? things? I'll think of something. Biggest. Are, you, are we talking okay. botch like actual botches? I have no idea. This is um, we're trying to get in the head of Scott. Chaplin what did you here. pick, Robert? I picked the uh, in biggest in ring fail was doing Kenny Omega MJF on Collision when it drew no rating, rather than build that up for six months and make it a massive fucking story. Yeah, you know that's a, that's an in ring fail. I think Edge Christian. Um, a few weeks ago was was an in-ring fail. I think there's another way to get that beautiful woman on screen and aligned with Christian and <laughs> and you didn't have to have that match, especially because world's end, you look at it and it doesn't have anything that's really like compelling, uh, especially to, to someone's wallet, right? Like, yeah, in ring, of course, always. But t- take out that credit card, uh-uh. But Edge and Christian is something that, you know, fans for a long time, maybe they could justify, oh, I'll put down money seeing them have their match. But again, that was a free thing. So, yeah, that's an in-ring fail. Mike, did you have an in-ring fail? Yeah, I actually, I think, just to be logical and nerdy about this, and I know it is technically out of the ring, but I will give it to the Dante Martin injury for this reason mainly. It is a ladder match. Penta is on top of a ladder. He has to move the belt that he's trying to grab out of title. the way so that the title. he could... What's that? He has to move the title. Oh, so, oh, yeah, you're not getting hired again. So he has to move <laughs> the belt out of the way to do the fucking move 
that he's already clearly going to win and does this instead. So it was it was uh, unsafe, it was sloppy, and it was the definition of needless in kayfabe also. Dan, did you have an in-ring fail? Uh, I, I'd say this 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 new belt that Tony is doing. I mean, in, in the sense that like some of the matches have been great, but you know the fact that he's responding to you know the hottest uh, WWE has ever been with this inside joke that oh he's just gonna he's just gonna bring out a new tournament and a new belt and he actually did that. <laughs> I, I think that long I think that like long term wise that that I mean that 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 showed again the emperor has no clothes i mean we can keep saying that with tony and it's going to be really awkward if i go backstage at world's end and run into him but and he's uh, naked then he's naked uh but yeah i i think that the this whole continental classic it's it's a it's like a joke that mike lawrence would make about aew in 2022 and because well, it's gone on too long and contains unnecessary math yeah, yes. it, and and they're actually they're actually doing it. So like, I think that like, you know, that's been that's been the most shocking thing about this year is that like, you know, usually when we make jokes about these wrestlers or when we like, you know, like kind of roast them, they don't like totally play into it, and there's a little bit of a caricature element of it. But that's not at all true with Tony. Tony's Tony's become the cartoon in 2023. They, they literally went so nerdy that they have the blue team and the gold team, like the fucking 91 X-Men. Do you have an idea how hard it is to get me to not like an X-Men reference and Tony <laughs> Khan found a way to do it? That is Of all the fucking skill. colors. Yes. Um, so biggest outside of the ring fail. We know Scott didn't do the assignment on this one, so we'll skip him. Um, my outside of the ring fail was... Uh, basically everything that happened after all in and Tony losing CM Punk, who now becomes this massive cash cow for his competitor. Uh, Mike, what was your biggest outside of the ring fail? I I mean, I, I think that, that that's obviously like a fair answer, but I think overall, oh, okay. Fuck this person who just said the gold X-Men were useless. They were way more powerful than the blue team. Fucking idiot. Um, no, I'm going to go with, uh, the existence of collision to begin with. I don't think it was a good idea to add two hours of AEW programming. Um, I don't think it, you know, the, the ratings show that the attendance shows that I think it was just a, a botch in general to rampage already isn't doing well and is never promoted. And then you now have another show. So now you have an A show, a B show, and a C show. And I think what is end up actually happening is they all feel like B shows. Um, I think that uh, it was a massive mistake on Tony's part, uh, let alone to have the flagship guy be someone he, who he, he's afraid of. Um, <laughs> I, I just think that Collision, if you look like Ring of Honor has been a bad decision, but I think that's more of 2022. If one thing is really watered down AEW this year, I think it's that extra. The once you, you know, this happened with Marvel. You know, once you train the audience that it's okay to skip some of your programming, you're telling them it's okay to skip all of it. And Collision definitely did that. 
Dan, what was your outside of the ring fail? I, I think he said it. I mean, ever, ever, how they handled, uh, I mean, how Tony handled the CM Punk situation, you know, when, when, like, if, if, if you just said the facts about like everything that's gone down with, with Vince and everything that's gone down with Tony in the past two years, and we were in, in a non-wrestling bubble, bubble, and you literally just, you just, you just wrote those on paper black and white you'd be like well of course vince had the worst couple years but tony uh tony has fucking i mean he just keeps outdoing himself every week you know so it's it's got to be that all right um let's go with our our their final two-part award which is the high spot low spot of the year uh we may as well knock both of them out at the same time since we do it at the end of every show Anyway, so Scott, what was your high spot and low spot of the year? Uh, my high spot of the year was all in at Wembley. Uh, I thought it was such a, an exciting moment. It looked amazing. There weren't any uh, errors in filming. I know we were all terrified about it. It looked beyond professional. Uh, the entrances looked awesome. We, we were in love with the fact that you could get a Samoa Joe and a CM Punk in the beginning and a Will Ospreay in the middle. And you could finish it with this like huge storyline driven MJF Adam Cole match. And we were crazy about it. I mean, that last moment of, of two faces raising each other's hands. Uh, it was just a very, very cool moment. I was at the original all in. So for this to be what it was, which was a spectacle, I thought AEW really pulled off a spectacle. Uh, Swerve was in a match, and I remember him walking out and thinking, oh my God, this guy should be in the main event of this next year. It, it just, it felt big, and it felt like exciting for the future. My low spot is uh, what happened because of uh, AEW All In. Basically, everything that came out of All In, which was Punk leaving the company, that's my low spot of the year. I think it um, it really spoiled the company for a lot of people, including me in, in, in many ways. Um, and I thought it was just bad for AEW business. I also think Takeshita pinned Kenny Omega at that, at that show. And I think Takeshita is like the most underwhelming person of 2023 in terms of Tony and his ability to book in, in, in 2022 Takeshita was a face. He was a guy who literally all of us were like, Hey, maybe we don't need an Okada who needs Okada when you have younger, larger Okada. Uh, and now we have someone who he's beat Kenny twice. The first time being at all in, in Wembley. We and, also now uh, have older, larger Abushi. <laughs> yeah, my gosh, Abushi was at at Wembley. There's there's a lot of things at Wembley that are uh hanging over us. Dude, even, you know, Samoa Joe who I'm crazy about and I want to see him be the world champion. I think he deserves the world title. How funny that he lost to CM Punk for, you know, the quote-unquote real world title at All In and now he's going to be your champion. It's uh it's a bummer and odd. So, yeah, all in and all in. That's my high spot. That's my low spot. Dan, high spot, low spot of the year. Um, I'll start out with a low spot. Bray Wyatt passing away. Um, you know, that that's guy, I mean, you talk about somebody who 
you know, had so much more to give the wrestling company, the wrestling world. It's, 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 it's honestly a, in a lot of ways, the opposite of Jericho, you know, um, and that we uh, were never going to see what that guy, you know, and, and probably what an amazing force that guy would have been on creative. And we're just never going to see it. Um, so that's, that's a low spot for me. High spot of the year, you know, I'm going to go with highest moment for me. And it was that SmackDown where Ray finally hit Dominic. If you go back and watch that moment, you know, it, it's, it's very much like when, when Miss Elizabeth runs into Macho's arms, it's like this emotional cathartic release that we've been waiting for, for about a year. And when it happens, the whole, it's not, you know, it's like all Dominic says is he tells his mom to shut up and you just feel the palpitation. It's everything I love about wrestling. You finally, you build something up in a slow, realistic way, and then you pay it off. And that's what they did. You know, like, Ray, Ray, all and all he did was he just hit his son and he said, I'll see you at WrestleMania, son. And I mean, the crowd was it was electric, man. It was everything. Uh, it was why I love wrestling. You know, I've, I've watched that moment a bunch of times. Mike. OK, my high spot, you know, a, a, a personal one. Um, it was uh, February 23rd, you know, 630 in the morning. You know, I found out my dad passed away. We recorded an episode maybe eight hours after that. And Dan had lost his mom. And it was the most cathartic, uh, fun thing I've done in comedy or anything in, in, in a long time. It was necessary. I listened to that uh, episode every once in a while. Because it just, I don't know, it means something to me that I was able to, like, do that and do that with my best friend and that we were just, we probably shouldn't have, but we did it <laughs> and it was beautiful, um, you know, and, and I, I guess an extension of that would be um, the, uh, you know, yeah, WrestleMania of, like, I bought the tickets that day, like, I was like, my dad's fucking dead and I'm not even going to Mania and it's my town, I'm gonna go, and I'm and I'm glad I did. And, you know, and I went with my brother. I was like, you know, my dad used to take us to wrestling. That's why I got into this shit. And I still think about him whenever I watch it. So let's go together. And this, that was my highest spot. Just, you know, thinking of him while watching Austin Theory matches. <laughs> and, uh, you know, my um, my low spot uh, of the year, I, I think, would be, yeah, just disinterest. You know, that I don't feel the need to watch the pay-per-views, watch the shows, that it's as skippable as it is, you know. Um, I, I hope that some of my excitement comes back for, for Mania season. I think they're already doing a decent job of the Rumble. And, you know, look, man, we love making fun of Tony. It, it is easy, and he gives us new material all the time. But we did love this product. We want to love it again. I'm wearing a fucking AEW, uh, you know, jacket now people come up to me and they're like aw you know it, it, the, it, that's cool that something that young means that much to certain people it just fucking sucks that it's lost its way but i i hope it finds it back but in terms of a low spot in wrestling it's gotta be yeah just a massive decline and i mean you know if we look at these wrestlers as human beings and they are i fucking feel bad for them when they gotta wrestle in front of empty arenas and shit you know i 
you know, collision shouldn't look like any show Dan's ever done. It's embarrassing. <laughs> you know, it, but I'm fucking with you. But, you know, like, the, the, there has been something like ratings are ratings, and that's whatever it is, but the physical sight of empty seats and wrestlers risking their fucking, you know, lives, sometimes unnecessarily to entertain people, and they're not even there. It's just a, a sad thing. I mean, MJF was my favorite wrestler. I think that he's just another guy now. And But even him getting to be world champion for a whole year in front of these small crowds is just kind of embarrassing, man. Like, and, and you watch some of the, you know, like an Adam Copeland when they're used to performing for a full arena and it's just not there. Like, that's that's a fucking bummer, man. All right. So my, my high school last button, and, and I'm glad you brought up that episode, Mike. That was actually one of the things I was considering putting on there. I was just talking about that episode the other day with uh, with some friends. Um, so my my low spot of the year was the Juice Robinson quarters incident with MJF. Oh, um, when it happened at the time, it was people were in an uproar that it was anti-Semitic and it was really uncomfortable and stupid. And I said it was anti-Semitic and uncomfortable and stupid. And that my biggest frustration was you took this huge gamble and I'm sure they're going to fucking blow it. And sure enough, they absolutely blew it. So you do something really controversial for no reason whatsoever and you get no payoff. It dragged down that Jay White feud. And more importantly, it dragged down MJF to the point where he really is just another guy. I mean, this year continuously cut his legs out from under him to the point where there's a small part of me that hopes, fuck it, maybe he didn't re-sign with AEW. Maybe he's going to show up at the Rumble. Uh, my high spot of the year. Yeah, I mean, right, Robert? Like, the booking of MJF is the worst treatment of Jews this year. This is the worst thing to happen to Jews all year. You're you're right. Um, my high spot came courtesy of a Jew when Ari Emanuel announced that Vince McMahon is no longer allowed to be part of the creative team under TKO which means hopefully, maybe, possibly, Hunter will continue to produce decent, watchable programming for the foreseeable future. So that was the uh, the the high spot, low spot, and a great segue into the final thing we're doing here today, our surprise roast of Vince McMahon. <laughs> what the fuck was that noise? Um, we gotta talk about bright side first, right? I mean, yeah, no. Well, we're gonna do the we're gonna do like two and a half hours. I mean, it, this Vince McMahon bright side. None of us are wrestling fans without Vince. You know, Vince is the most important creative mind that's ever been in wrestling. Um, he's the godfather of what we love. The probably the greatest heel of all time, as far as if you just want to look at like his reactions. Um. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, there's nobody who has even come close to what Vince McMahon has done for wrestling, and it's almost like when when he finally does die, it's gonna be this weird thing. It's gonna be like, you know, kind of like when Castro died or something, like a dictator, where you're like, I know this guy has done a lot of bad shit, but man, he's really an important part of my life. You know, and and I think that that's this that's that's uh, that's the case with Vince, man. There is no professional wrestling 
there, you know, without Vince McMahon. So, Scott, what's your bright side of Vince? Uh, yeah, you know, I just think it's a different wrestling world without Vince, right? It uh, just splinters into something else. Somebody else would have grabbed that ball, but he was the New York guy, and the New York guys have the New York money. And so then the New York guys can buy television time in L.A., and you know how that works. They just take over the the, the country. Uh, that's what Vince did. It is, it is very cool. Um yeah, I think he's an all-time – obviously, I think he's the most important figure in, in, in modern pro wrestling where it's like no, the way Napoleon is, right? Where it's like, hey, no matter what you say, a lot of what's going on today is because of that man. Um, I think as an on-screen character, Mr. McMahon, probably the best wrestling character ever. Like aside from like, you know, a Terry Funk, like the basic – I'm going to come whoop your ass character. What's a better character than owner of the company who wants to cause terror the the way Vince McMahon caused terror and maintain power the way Vince McMahon maintained power. It, it was secession. It was the Sopranos. Um, he, he was so many things in pro wrestling, the, the character. I'm like crazy about Vince McMahon, the character. And I think his acting is better than most, uh, wrestlers i think his mic skills for the most part were better than most wrestlers so yeah vince the characters is, is maybe mount rushmore for me of characters mike you know wrestling ultimately intrigues us because we're like well that's fake that's fake wait that's fucking real and vince is the epitome of that <laughs> everything about him is just cartoony you know the the fucking walk the um coming back out at the age of 80 with dark hair and a fucking bioshock mustache like is unbelievable <laughs> like everything you know he is part of you know look when the on-screen product isn't great we talk about the off-screen product he has been so much of the off-screen product as well and uh you know he's entertaining in that just the tall tales of him. Everyone who's met him has a fascinating fucking story. And you're like to, to, to abuse people and have them still talk about your product years later, Robert is just unbelievably impressive. Um, I, I think that look like, yeah, he is the PT Barnum in wrestling and that I hope there's a fucking musical starring Hugh Jackman playing him and that I would happily, Right. Um, I I started like just out of fun writing a parody of Hamilton about McMahon because I find his whole story from his birth to where he is now to be just so fascinating that he was raised in a fucking North Carolina trailer park. The Rod McMahon of it all that his mom just died like he is. See it, you know, he's Montgomery Burns, man. He is a CM and it ain't punk. Uh, and I think that there's just something so fun about him. And for us to love this thing and have one of the masterminds behind it be this fucking weird, an anti sneezing, anti sleeping fucking demagogue, uh, just makes it so much more fun. You know, we 
wrestling is weird and we wouldn't want normal people in charge of it and Vince may be the weirdest of them all. Yeah, that's that's fair. I, I made this point, I think, on the show once before that if Vince McMahon were in any other field but pro wrestling, they'd be teaching him in business classes for decades to come. He literally built a small regional wrestling promotion into a billion-dollar global empire. He got wrestling on Fox. He got wrestling on USA. He's closed some of the largest international TV rights deals of all time. He was in charge of creative. He was in charge of the business, merchandising. He ran everything soup to nuts while also being fucking nuts. I have in my bookshelf behind me the the Abraham Reutemann book, uh, Ringmaster, that really details, like Mike said, the entire Vince McMahon story, which is fucking insane. His childhood, what his stepmother supposedly did to him, him ousting his own dad from the company, the numerous potential allegations going up against the U.S. government. He's like a he's like a fucking he's the craziest cartoon character in wrestling history. And 80 percent of it is just his real life. He essentially is the reason that Donald Trump got elected president because he sort of created the Donald Trump persona. So he transcended the world of wrestling. He tried to do it a number of different ways. He did it in kind of the most horrifying way possible. Uh, and he's probably the reason that wrestling still exists today. If there was no Vince McMahon, who knows what this industry would be? I mean, Mike just saw Iron Claw. Fritz That's Von what Eric. the industry would be. Dead. Yeah, yeah, Fritz, there you go. Fritz von Erich couldn't put it together. Vern Gagne couldn't put it together. None of those guys the did. Crockets I mean, and that's, couldn't. you know, to your point, people act like it's a murder. It was a suicide. <laughs> Yet another yeah. one in that film. It, it was everybody against Vince, and Vince won. And he's continued to survive. He beat Ted Turner. He, if he, he would have lasted America. a little... He beat America. He probably would beat Tony Khan if he was still around there. And the the fact that the tragedy of his life is that he sold his company and made even more money is sort of the insanity of the Vince McMahon legacy. Um, but do you yeah. think we see him wave ever again? Will he come out and wave? Yes, I, I, I think he's. I think he's biding his time. I think he'll he'll appear back at some point. Do you not remember when Stephanie? went out there on that episode. I think it was like SmackDown to get a thank you, Vince, when he stepped down, when all the allegations came out. Wrestling yeah. audiences still, I guarantee you wrestling audiences still love Vince McMahon. They would still pop if he were to show up in a week or two. I think TKO would be terrified of what happens to the stock. Yeah, I mean, he makes you excited to hear the Chris Warren band in 2023. <laughs> they suck. Hey, <laughs> that's that's fucked up. All right. Let's uh, let's get to the roast of Vince McMahon. Uh, since there's four of us here, who wants to uh, who wants to go first on this one? Mike has his first. hand up. Today we are ro finally roasting Vince McMahon because he can no longer affect Dan's TV deal, and Robert has accepted he's never getting hired back. <laughs> <laughs> there's some truth to that. <laughs> uh, that's nothing but truth. Uh, Vince doesn't always get it right. He never saw how talented Robert was, and now he's hosting not one, but two wrestling podcasts. <laughs> you showed him. <laughs> what 
What can you say about Vince that hasn't been covered in four seasons of Dark Side of the Ring? <laughs> There's nothing you can say that we haven't heard that would shock me besides he loves his wife, Linda, very much. <laughs> he was unfaithful to Linda, breaking his vows by promising her a Senate seat twice. <laughs> I'd say Vince is a real cocksucker, but that was more of Patterson's job. Oh, he honors Patterson by having a mustache that looks like a piece of shit smeared by a dick on his face. He took pro wrestling from a local laughing stock to a global laughing stock. <laughs> <laughs> and he's not some spoon fed Nepo baby. He lived in a trailer park for years with an abusive stepdad and a father who never respected him. There's only one other path for someone like that become roast battle champion and right on Bupkiss. <laughs> Either way, you get a sweet deal with Peacock. Uh, Vince was an announcer for years where he was so stiff and unlikable that Conrad would give him his own daily podcast if he could. <laughs> People say he's racist, but some of his best Saturdays are black. <laughs> he was able to avoid getting arrested for steroids by just taking all of them himself. <laughs> Because of Vince, people think any cokehead with money can run a successful wrestling company. But Tony Khan has proven you can. He couldn't even fall from grace gracefully. I was me too. I was me too all along. <laughs> Reader, he you know, he was accused of um uh uh having uh raping Rita Chatterton, which is funny because Rita Chatterton sounds like the nickname he gives to any woman that breaks an NDA. Shattered about this. <laughs> He's a pervert and a creep. The guy just loves sex. He even went to a hotel to get Jimmy Snuka off. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. Vince is more powerful than Jesus because he's never been afraid of nails. <laughs> if there is a God, then Vince will burn in hell. In a cell. <laughs> He tore through his quads faster than the Virginia Tech sniper did. <laughs> he named his company Titan Sports, where they tighten everything except the safety harnesses in Kansas City. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I don't have an ending to this, Rose. I'm just going to leave abruptly like a billionaire who doesn't want to be stranded in Saudi Arabia with his employees. <laughs> the end. Amazing. All right, I'll, I'll I'll hop in, Robert, because I don't have nearly as many jokes uh, as as Mike. But here, uh, one thing you can't fault Vince for—he never ran out of ideas for the women's division. Uh, I have balls the size of grapefruits was Vince's defense in the steroid trial. Without Vince, there's no wrestle roasts. That's the burn, guys. Uh, he always wanted to do an incest angle with Stephanie. Though Shane would have settled for a hug. <laughs> Vince refuses to see the Iron Claw because he thinks it's about Linda's pussy. <laughs> Tap Out wants to push Vince McMahon out before his mustache goes on trial for war crimes. His favorite leg workout is running from karma. Of course I ran. You see how big and black she is? <laughs> The only people remotely connected to wrestling who haven't been fucked by Vince's actions are each of our wives. <laughs> the 
WBF XFL. All of Vince's failures sound like something he tests positive for. His favorite gimmick was The Undertaker, not Mark Calloway, the guy who buried Vince Sr. And <laughs> finally, uh, where is it here? Okay. Uh, uh, finally, sorry, is I'll never forgive Vince for the Montreal screwdriver. Ah, shit, I fucked it up already. I'll never forgive Vince for the Montreal screw job, said Brad at Owen's funeral. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's me. All right, let me go, because... <laughs> All right, I'm going to tank. Here we go. Uh, Vincent Kennedy McMahon. The difference between Vincent Kennedy and John Kennedy is Vince's wife wasn't there when he got head all over the back seat. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, Vince was replaced by Paul Levesque, Fitting that a predator gets taken out by a hunter. <laughs> he has a T-Rex skull in his office, so anytime he thinks he's getting a big head, he can remember it can always get bigger. <laughs> uh, Taker is Vince's greatest invention. Taker is also what he prays Satan does to Linda. <laughs> uh, Vince took stunners the way Tony Khan takes constructive criticism. <laughs> Vince's brain is like if the movie Inside Out had, had every emotion played by Yvonne Eric. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, Vince is the executive chairman of TKO Group Holdings. Before this, Vince thought Group Holdings was when he pushed a woman's breast together. <laughs> Thanks to the new TKO venture, like a tire on Sonny's car, Vince is getting the boot. Uh, Trump shaved Vince's head, and it wasn't the last time Donald turned someone's dad into a skinhead. Eh. Oh, and finally, Vince walks with his butt cheeks squeezed together. What is the guy hiding Nancy Argentina in his ass? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I love this got bailed. <laughs> That's the best part of that. All right. Let me just fucking wrap this nine-hour episode up. <clears throat> Vince McMahon is the Walt Disney of wrestling if Walt hated his family as much as he hated Jews. Vince overthrew his father to control his company, defeated the U.S. government, fought his own son, and lusted after his daughter. He's a Greek tragedy for an audience that thinks Shakespeare is a wrestling hold. He's the P.T. Barnum. For an audience that can't spell PT. Vince McMahon made people join his Kiss My Ass Club, which sounds awful until you realize the alternative is joining the Tony Khan Have a Two-Minute Conversation Without Breaking Eye Contact Club. <laughs> Vince was shaved bald in the Battle of the Billionaires. People were shocked there weren't horns on his head. But when you realize he failed at running a film studio, a publishing house, a record label, and a sports franchise, that he definitely wasn't Jewish. Vince McMahon is responsible for my childhood, is less an uplifting statement and more an alibi to avoid a longer prison sentence. Vince McMahon brought the XFL back from the dead. Take that, Jesus. Vince McMahon screwed Bret Hart once and launched the most profitable era in wrestling history. 
Vince screwed Linda twice and is still stuck with Shane and Stephanie. (laughs) Donald Trump and Vince McMahon have been friends for decades. A fact you already knew when you realized that Vince used the N-word on TV. Watching footage of Vince McMahon's limousine exploding is the only way Shane can come. (laughs) You've got no chance. No chance in hell. But enough about Dan's Peacock show with Steve Austin happening. <laughs> Look at him. <laughs> Vince was replaced by Hunter on creative, as if he already wasn't jealous of the fact that Triple H gets to fuck Stephanie. As a young man, Vince idolized the wrestler Dr. Jerry Graham. As an older husband and father, he now idolizes Chris Benoit. The Vince McMahon strut to the ring is how I imagine Dan was walking after his wife pegged him. (laughs) I had the honor of working for Mr. McMahon. And of all the racist, homophobic, anti-Semitic, xenophobic, greedy, manipulative, underhanded, drug-addled, narcissistic, treasonous, ill-tempered, egomaniacal, delusional, self-centered, bullheaded, contentious, spiteful, misogynistic, perverted, dishonest, corrupt, reflectionless, soulless monsters I've worked for. He was my favorite. (laughs) Thank you, Vince McMahon, for making me believe in the power of Hulkamania in Austin 316 and that Jimmy Snuka did not kill Nancy Argentino. (laughs) I I just can't believe that didn't end with you crying and calling him Papa. But that's what I'm going to do once the uh, camera's off. I'm going to I'm going to, you know, scroll on my body that I, I'm sorry, Vince, a hundred times like uh, the Da Vinci Code guy. There are right. those jokes in there you didn't laugh at. Nick Houseman wrote those. <laughs> well, thank uh, you, guys. Great to see you. I always love the Wrestle Roast universe. Shout out Keith Martin, brother. Love you, buddy. See you yes. I just want to say thank you. Our, our last live um our first live uh, show had 58 people. Our last one had 48, and this one has 33. So thank you for doing an impression of AEW's fan base. <laughs> I blame the fact that people were worried we were going to play another Brian Alvarez cameo. And they were like, you know what? Maybe we'll just sit this one out just in case. But uh, no, thank you all for bidding Dorks for another great year. Uh, so... On behalf of Mike, Dan, Scott, Zach, Logan, and all of us here at WrestleRoast, best of luck in your future endeavors. And Scott, what do you want to say to the people? Wash your hands. Wash your hands, guys. Bye, guys. Bye.